0: The following is a conversation with Magnus Carlsen, the number one ranked chess player in the world and widely considered to be one of, if not the greatest chess player of all time. The camera on Magnus died 20 minutes into the conversation. Most folks still just listen to the audio through a podcast player anyway, but if you're watching this on YouTube or Spotify, we did our best to still make it interesting by adding relevant image overlays. I mess things up sometimes like in this case. But I'm always working hard to improve. I hope you understand. Thank you for your patience and support along the way. I love you all. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Magnus Carlson. You're considered by many to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, chess players of all time but you're also one of the best fantasy football, AKA soccer, competitors in the world, plus recently picking up poker and uh, competing at a world-class level. So before chess, let's talk football and greatness. Uh, You're a Real Madrid fan, so let me ask you the ridiculous big question. Who do you think is the greatest football, AKA soccer player of all time? Can you make the case for Messi? Can you make the case for Cristiano Ronaldo? Pele, Maradona. Does somebody, anybody jump to mind?
1: I think it's pretty hard to make a case for anybody else than Uh-oh. than Messi for his uh, for his all around game. And uh, uh, frankly, like my Real Madrid fandom sort of uh, predates the Ronaldo era era. Uh, this the second Ronaldo, not 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 the first one. So I always liked Ronaldo, but I always kind of thought that Messi was. Uh, was uh, better uh, and um, I went to quite a number of uh, Madrid games and they've always been super helpful full to me down there. The only thing is that like they asked me, they were going to do an interview and they were going to ask me who my favorite player was and um, I said somebody else, I, I think I said Isco at that point and I was like, okay, take two now you say Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> so for them it was um, it was very important but it wasn't, wasn't that huge to... Um,
0: uh to me. So Messi over Maradona?
1: Yeah, but it's I think it just like with chess, it's hard to compare eras. Um obviously the improvements in football have been like in in technique and such have been even greater than they have been in in, in chess. But it's um it's always um it's always a weird weird discussion uh to, to have.
0: But just as a fan, what do you think is beautiful about the game what defines greatness is it you know with Messi one he's really good at finishing two very good at assist like three there's just magic it's just beautiful to see the play so it's not just about the finishing there's some it's like Mardon's hand of God there's some creativity on the pitch is is that important or is it very important to get the World Cups and the big championships and that kind of stuff
1: I think the World Cup is pretty Pretty overrated, seeing as um, as it's uh, such a small sample size. So uh, uh, it sort of annoys me always when you know titles are always um, always appreciated so much, um, even though uh, that particular title can be can be a lot of uh, lot of um, luck or at least some at least some luck. Um, uh, so, I do appreciate um, the statistics a bit, and all the statistics say that Messi is the best uh, finisher of all time, which I think helps a lot. Um, and then there's the
0: intangibles as well. The flip side of that is the small sample size is what really creates the magic. It's so rare, it's just like the Olympics. You you basically train your whole life for this. You live your whole life for this, and it's a rare moment. One mistake, and it's all over. That's for some reason a lot of people either break under that pressure or rise up under that pressure. You don't you don't admire the magic of that?
1: No, I I do. I just think that like rising and the pressure and breaking under under the pressure is often a really oversimplified like. Uh, take yeah. on on what's um, on what's happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we yeah we do romanticize the game. Yeah. Well, let me ask you another ridiculous question. Another. You're also a fan of basketball. Yes. <laughs> let me ask the goat question. The uh, I you know I'm biased because uh, I went to high school in Chicago. Uh, you know Chicago Bulls during the, the Michael Jordan era. Uh, let me ask the the Jordan versus LeBron James question. Let's let's continue on this thread of greatness. Which one do you pick, or somebody else? Matthew so Johnson. I'll
1: give you a completely different answer. uh Oh, um, depending on my mood and depending who on whom I talk to, I pick one of one of the two, and then it's, I try to argue for it's that. it's the quantum
0: mechanical thing. Well, can, can you what again? What what would uh, if you were to argue for either one? Statistically, I think LeBron James is going to surpass Jordan.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: And so, again, there's a um, debate between
1: unquantifiable greatness. No, that I mean, that's the whole. That's the whole debate.
0: Yes. So it's well, it's quantifiable versus unquantifiable. Yeah. What's more important? And you're depending on mood. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you lean in general with these fo- with these folks with, with with soccer with anything in life towards the unquantifiable more?
1: No, definitely towards the quantifiable.
0: So when you're unsure, lean towards the numbers. Yeah. But see, like it's later generations. There's something that's what people say about Maradona is, you know, he took a arguably somewhat mediocre team to to a World Cup. So there's that also uplifting nature of the player to be able to rise up the whole team. It is a team sport.
1: So are you going to like, are you going to punish Messi for taking a mediocre Argentine squad to, to, the, to the final in 2014 and punish him because they lost to a great team very narrowly after they missed. The internet he, he, se- <laughs> he set up like a great chance for Higuain in the first half, which he, um, which he fluffed. And then, yeah, eventually they lost the game.
0: Yeah, they, they, they do criticize Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, for being on really strong squads in terms of the club. Yeah. teams and saying yeah okay it's easy to, when you have uh, like ronaldinho or whoever uh, on your team
1: it would be very interesting just um if the league could make a decision yeah just
0: random random yeah. allocation yeah um <laughs> and, and just every single game just keep real or maybe once a season um or every season you get random yeah, but, but let,
1: let's say every every player um, if let's say they sign a five-year contract for a team, like one of them, you're going to get randomly allocated to, to let's say a bottom half team. <laughs> I, I bet you there's going to be so much corruption
0: around that. It be no, I mean, obviously it wouldn't,
1: <laughs> wouldn't ever happen or, or, yeah. or work, but
0: I think it's, it's you never know. interesting to think about. So on chess, let's uh, zoom out. If you break down your approach to chess, when you're at your best, what what do you think um what do you think contributes to that approach is it memory recall specific lines and positions is it intuition how much of it is intuition how much of it is pure calculation how much of it is messing with the strategy of the opponent so the game theory aspect in terms of what contributes to the highest level of play that um, that you do
1: i think the answer Differs a little bit now from what it did eight years ago. Uh, for instance, like I've, I feel like I've had like two peaks in in my career in twenty fourteen, uh, well 2013, 2014, and also tw- in twenty nineteen. And in those years, I I was very different um, in terms of um, of my strength. Strengths, uh, specifically in 2019, I benefited a lot from opening preparation. Uh, while in 2013, 2014, I mostly tried to avoid my uh, opponent's uh, preparation, rather than that being a um, being a strength. So uh, I'm, I'm mentioning that also because it's something something you didn't um, didn't mention. I think like my intuitive understanding of chess has over those years always been a little bit better than the others even though it has evolved as well um certainly there are there are things that i understand now that i didn't understand back then but that's not only for me that's for um for others as well um i was younger back then so i played with more energy which meant that i could play better in long drawn out uh games um which was also a necessity for me cuz i didn't i couldn't couldn't beat people in the in the openings um but it, in terms of calculation that's always been a weird issue for me like i've always been really really um bad at solving exercises in chess like that's been like a blind spot for me first of all i found it hard to concentrate on them um and to look
0: uh to look deep enough so this is like a puzzle a position yeah Yeah. mate in x i mean
1: one thing is mate, but find the best move that's generally the exercise. Like, find the best move, find the best line.
0: You, find, you, just don't connect with it.
1: Usually, like, you have to to look look deep, and then when I get these lines during the game, I very often find the 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 right solution, even though, um, even though I'm, it's not still. Um, Uh, The best part of my game uh, to to calculate
0: very, very deeply. But it doesn't feel like calculation. You're saying, in terms of no, it
1: it does sometimes. But for me, it's more like I'm at the board trying to find trying to find the solution. And I understand like the training at home is like trying a little bit to to replicate that. Like you give somebody half an hour um, in a position like in this instance you might have thought for half an hour if you played a game but I just I just cannot do it Uh, one thing I know that I am good at though uh, is um, calculating short lines uh, because I calculate them them well I'm good at seeing um, little details and I'm also much better than than most at uh, evaluating uh, which I think is Something that sets me uh, sets me uh, apart from from others.
0: So evaluating specific position, if I if I make this move and the position changes in this way, is this the a step in the right direction? Like in a big picture way?
1: Yeah, like you calculate a few moves ahead and then you evaluate because a lot of lot of time, lot of the times you cannot. Um the branches become so big that you cannot calculate everything, so you like have a to, fog yeah, so you have to you have to make valuations based on you know based mostly on uh, knowledge and and intuition, and somehow I seem to do that uh pretty well
0: when you say you're good at short lines, what's that what's what's short
1: That's usually
0: like lines of um two to four moves each. Okay, so that that's directly applicable to even faster games like Blitz, Chess, and so on.
1: Yeah, um, Blitz is uh, a lot about cal- calculating force lines. So those, you can see pretty clearly that... The players who struggle at Blitz who are great at classical are those who rely on a deep calculating ability because you simply ha- don't have time for, for that in Blitz. You have to calculate quickly and rely a lot on intuition.
0: Can you try to, I know it's really difficult. Can you try to talk through what's actually being visualized in your head? Is there is there a visual component? Yeah,
1: no, I just visualize the board. I mean, the board is in... It's in it's in my head.
0: Two dimensional.
1: My interpretation is that it's it is two uh, two dimensional.
0: Like what colors? Is is it brown tinted? Is it black? Is it, uh, like what's the theme? Is it a big board, small board? Are the uh, what do the pawns look like? <laughs> or is it more in the space of concepts? Like uh, it's, yeah, it's, the,
1: it's, the, it's, there are <laughs> there aren't a lot of colors. It's it's mostly. Uh,
0: <laughs> So what is it? Queen's I'm, Gambit I'm trying, on the ceiling, I'm whatever.
1: now to, uh, to, <laughs> to imagine it.
0: What about when you do the branching, when you have multiple boards and so on? What, how does that look? Are you, no, but a, it's lo- only one at a time. So like- One position at a time.
1: One position at a time, so then I go back. And, uh, and that's what, when, when people play, or at least that's what I do. When I play blindfold chess against several people, then it's just always one board at a time and the rest are stored away somewhere.
0: But how do you store them away? So like you went down one branch and you're like, all right, that's, I got that. I understand that that's, there's some good there. There's some bad there. Now let me go down another branch. Like how do you store away the information? You just put it on a shelf kind of.
1: I, I try and store it away. Sometimes I have to sort of repeat it because I forget. Um, and it does happen frequently in games that um, you're thinking for, Especially if you're thinking for long, let's say a half an hour or even more than that, that you play a move and then your opponent plays a move, then you play a move and they play a move again and you realize, oh, I actually calculated that. I just forgot about it. Mm. Um, so that's obviously what happens when you store the information and you cannot retrieve it.
0: When you think about a move for 20, 30 minutes, like how do you break that down? What Can you describe what... Uh, like what's the algorithm here that takes 30 minutes to run? 30 minutes is,
1: uh, at least for me, it's usually a waste. Um, 30 minutes usually means that I don't know what to do. And I'm trying... <laughs> so you're just running into the wall over and uh, yeah, over. Yeah, I'm trying to find something that isn't there. I think um, 10 to 15 minutes things in complicated positions can be really, really uh, helpful. Then you can spend your time pretty... Um, efficiently, um, just it just means that the branches are getting getting wide. There's a there's a lot to um, to run through, um, both in terms of calculation and lots you have to evaluate as well. And then based on based on that 10 to 15 minute think you you have a pretty good idea uh, what to what to do. I mean, it's, it's very rare that I would think for half an hour and I would have a eureka moment during the game. Like if I haven't seen it in 10 minutes, I'm probably not going to see it at all. You're
0: going to different branches. Yeah. And like after 15 minutes, it's like,
1: but it mainly to the middle game, because when you get to the end game, it's usually brute force calculation that makes you spend so much time. So middle game is normally it's 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 a complicated mix of brute force calculation and and uh and um like creativity and and evaluation so end game it's 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 more it's it's easier in that sense
0: well you're good at every aspect of chess but you're also your end game is legendary it baffles experts so uh can, can you linger on that then try to explain what the heck is going on there like if you look at game six of the previous world championship uh the longest game ever played in chess it was uh, i think uh his queen versus your rook knight and two pawns yeah there's so many options there it's such an interesting little little dance and it's kind of not obvious that it wouldn't be a draw so how do you escape the it not being a draw and you win that match
1: No, I knew um, that for most of the time, it was a theoretical draw, since um, chess with seven or less pieces on the board is solved. Mm -hmm. So you can, like people who are watching online, they can just check it. They can check and they can check a so-called table base and they, it just going to spit out win for white, win for black or a draw. So and and also i, I knew that uh, i knew that didn't know that position specifically but i knew that it had to be a draw so for me it was about staying alert first of all trying to look for the best way to put my pieces uh but but yeah those end games are a bit they are a bit unusual they don't happen too often so what i'm usually good at is i'm using my my strengths that I also use in in middle games is that I um, evaluate well and I calculate short variations quite um, even for
0: the end game short variations matter
1: yes, it does matter in some simpler end games, yeah, but also like there are these theoretical endgames with very few pieces like rook knights uh, and two pawns versus queens. But a lot of endgames are simply defined by the queens being exchanged. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other pieces left. And then it's usually not brute force. It's usually more of um, understanding and evaluation. And then then I can use my, my strengths um, very
0: well. Why are you so damn good at the endgame? Isn't there a lot of moves from when the end game starts to when the end game finishes and you have a few pieces and you have to figure out, it's like a sequence of little games that happens, right? Like little pattern, like how how does it being able to evaluate a single position lead you to evaluate a long sequence of positions that eventually lead to a checkmate?
1: Well, I think if you evaluate well at the start, you know what plans to go for. And then usually the play from there is, is often pretty simple. Let's say you understand how to arrange your pieces, and often also how to arrange your pawns early in the endgame. Then that makes all all the um, all the difference. And after that is like what we call technique. Of very often uh, that it's technique basically just mean, means that. Um, the moves are simple and uh, these are moves that, you know, a lot of players could could make, not only not only the very strongest ones, these are moves that are kind of understood and, and known.
0: So with the evaluation, you're just constantly improving a little bit and that just leads to suffocating the position and then eventually to the win, as long as you're doing the evaluation, well, one step at a time. To
1: some extent. Also, yeah, as I said, like, if you evaluate it better and thus, Accumulated some some small advantages, then you can you can often make your 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 life pretty easy
0: uh, towards the end of the end game. So you said in uh, 2019, sort of the second phase of why you're so damn good. <laughs> you uh, you did a lot of opening preparation. What's the goal for you of uh, the opening game of chess? Is it to throw the opponent off from any prepared lines? Is there something you could put into words about why you're so damn good at the openings?
1: Again, these things have changed a lot over time. Uh, back in Kasparov's days, for instance, um, he very often got huge advantages from the opening as as white. Can you explain why? there were several reasons for for that first of all he he worked harder he was more creative in finding ideas he was able to look places others didn't uh also he had a very strong team of people who had specific strengths in in openings
0: that he could use so they would come up with ideas and he would he would integrate those ideas into like- yeah
1: and he would also very often come up with them them himself also, uh, at the start, he had um, some of the first computer engines to uh, to work um, for him to, to find his ideas, to look deeper, to verify his ideas. He was better at using them than a lot of others. Now, I f- feel like the playing field is a lot more level. There are both computer engines neural networks and hybrid engines available to practically anybody so it's it's much harder to find ideas now that um that actually like give you an advantage with the the the, the white pieces i mean people don't expect to find those ideas anymore now it's all about finding ideas that are missed by the uh Engines, either they're missed entirely or they're missed at low depth Uh, and using them to, you know, gain some advantage in the sense that you have more, more knowledge. And, uh, you know, it's also good to know that usually these are not complete bluffs. These are like semi-bluffs so that (laughs) you know that even if your opponent makes all the right moves, you can still make a draw. And also at the start of 2019, neural networks had just started to be a thing in in chess. And uh, I'm not entirely sure, but there were at least some players in, even in the top events who you could see did not use them or did not use them in the right way. And then you could gain a huge advantage because a lot of positions, they were being evaluated differently by the neural networks than traditional chess engines because they simply think about uh, chess in a very, very um, different way. So short answer is these days, it's all about surprising your, your opponent and taking it into position where you have more more knowledge.
0: So is there some sense in which it's okay to make suboptimal quote unquote moves? No, just... but you
1: have to. I mean, you, you have to, because the best moves have been analyzed to, to death mostly.
0: So that's a kind of, when you say semi-bluff, that's a kind of sacrifice. You're you're sacrificing the optimal move, the optimal position, so that you can take the opponent. I mean, that's a game theoretic sense. You take the opponent to something they didn't prepare well.
1: Yeah, Uh, but you could also look at it another way, that regardless, like if you turn on whatever engine you turn on, Like if you try to analyze either from the starting position or the starting position of some popular opening, like if you um, analyze long enough, it's always going to end up in a draw. So in in that sense, you may not be going for like the objective, the tries that are objectively the most difficult to draw against. But, you know, you are trying to look at least at at the less obvious um, paths.
0: How much do you use engines? Do you use Lila, Stockfish uh, in your preparations?
1: My team does. Personally, I try not to use them too much on on my own uh, because I know that when I play, you can obviously cannot have help from from engines. And often, I feel like often having imperfect or knowledge about a position uh, or some engine knowledge can be a lot worse than. Than having no knowledge, uh, yeah. so I try to look at engines as little as possible.
0: So the, yeah, so the, your team uses them for research for a generation of ideas. Yeah, but you are uh, relying primarily on your human resources.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you can
0: evaluate well. You don't lean.
1: Yeah, no, I can evaluate as a human. I can know what yeah. they find unpleasant and 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 so on. And the, it's very often the case for me to some extent, but a lot for for others that you arrive in a position and your opponent plays a move that you didn't expect. And, you know, if you didn't expect it, you know that it's probably not a great move Mm -hmm. (laughs) since it hasn't been expected by by the engine. But if if it's not obvious why it's not a good move, it's usually very, very hard to figure it out. And so then, Looking at the engines doesn't necessarily help because at that point, like you're facing a human, you have to, to sort of think as a human.
0: I was chatting with Demis Sasaba, CEO of DeepMind a couple of days ago, and he asked me to ask you about what you first felt when you saw the, the, the play of Alpha Zero. Like interesting ideas, any creativity, um, did you feel fear that the machine is taking over? Did you were you inspired? <laughs> and and you, what
1: what was going on in your mind and heart? Funny thing about Demis is he he doesn't play chess at all uh, like uh, like an AI. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he uh, plays in a very very human way. No, uh, I was hugely inspired when I I saw the games at first, um, and it, in terms of. Man versus machine. I mean, that battle was was kind of lost for humans even before I entered top-level chess. Um, so that's never been an issue uh, for me. I never never liked playing against computers much anyway. So so that's completely fine. But it was amazing to see uh, how they, quote-unquote, thought about chess and in such a different way and in a way that you could... Mistake for creativity.
0: Mistake for creativity. Strong words. Uh, is it wild to you how many sacrifices it's willing to make that like sacrifice pieces and then wait for prolonged periods of time before doing anything with that? Is that is that weird to you that that's part of chess? No, it's also? it's one of the things that's hardest to
1: replicate as a human as well, or at least for my playing, playing style, that usually when I, I sacrifice, I feel like I'm, you know, I don't do it unless I feel like I'm getting something like tangible uh, in in return, and
0: um, like a few moves down the line. A few moves
1: down the line, you can see that you can either retrieve the material or you can put your opponent's king under pressure or have some very like very concrete uh, positional advantage that sort of um, compensates uh, for it. Uh, for instance, in chess, so bishops and knights are fairly equivalent. Mm-hmm um we both give them three points but bishops are a little bit better and especially a bishop pair is a lot better than than a bishop and a knight so or especially two knights depends on the position but like on average they are so like uh, uh, sacrificing a pawn in order to get get a bishop pair. That's one of the most common sacrifices in general. Oh, you're
0: okay making that sacrifice? Yeah,
1: I mean, it depends on the situation, but generally that's fine. And there are a lot of openings that are based on that, that you sacrifice a pawn for the bishop pair, and then eventually it's some sort of positional equality. Um, So that's fine. But um, the way Alpha Zero would, would sacrifice a knight or sometimes two pawns, three pawns, and you could see that it's looking for some sort of positional domination, but it's it's hard to understand. And it's um, it was really fascinating to see. Um, yeah, in 2019, I was sacrificing a lot of a lot of pawns, especially, and it was uh, it was a great joy. Unfortunately, it's not so easy to continue to do that. People people have found more solid opening lines since that don't allow me to to do that as often. I'm still trying both to get those positions and still trying to to learn the art of of sacrificing pieces.
0: So uh, Demis also made a comment that was interesting to my noob chess brain, which is one of the reasons that chess is fun is because of the quote, creative tension between the bishop and the knight. So you're talking about this interesting, um, the difference between the two pieces that there's some kind of how would you convert that i mean that's like a poetic statement about chess i think he said that why has chess been played for such a long time why is it so fun to play at every level that if you can reduce it to one thing is is it the bishop and the and the knight some kind of weird dynamics that they create in chess is there any truth to that
1: it sounds very good I haven't tried a lot of other games, but I tried to play a little bit of Shogi. Mm-hmm. And for my noob Shogi brain, mm-hmm. um, comparing it to chess, what annoyed me about that game is how much the pieces suck. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have one rook and you have one bishop that move like in chess, yeah. and the rest of the pieces are really not very powerful. So I think that's one of the attractions of chess, like how powerful, especially the queen is which interesting i kind of think makes it makes a lot of fun you
0: you think power is more fun than like variety
1: no there is variety (laughs) in chess as well though
0: but not much more so than like like no 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 no
1: no no, no, that's for
0: so like night i mean they all move in different ways they're all like weird there's just all these weird patterns and positions that can emerge the difference in the pieces create all kinds of interesting dynamics. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, and I guess it is quite fascinating that all those years ago they created the knight and the bishop without probably realizing that they would be almost equally equally strong with such different qualities. That's uh, crazy
0: that this, you know, the, the, like when you design computer games, it's it's like an art form. It's science and an art to to balance it, you know, you talk about Starcraft and all those games, like so that you can have competitive play at the highest level with all those different units. And, and in the case of chess, it's different pieces and they somehow designed a game that was super competitive. But there's probably some kind of natural selection that the chess just wouldn't last if it, it was designed poorly.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the, the rules have changed over time a little little bit. But I, I would be, I mean, speaking of games and all that, I'm also interested to play other other games like Chess 960 or Fisher Random, as they call it, like that you have 960 maps instead of one.
0: Yeah, so for people who don't know, a Fisher Random Chess, Chess 960s.
1: Is- yeah, that basically just means that the pawns are in the same way and the major pieces are uh distributed randomly on the on the last rank only that there have to be obviously bishops of opposite color and the king has to be in between the rooks so that you can castle both ways
0: oh you can still castle and you can still castle
1: but that makes it interesting so you still have it, it still castles in the same way so let's say the king is like yeah, in, well, yeah what happens in that case yeah the, let's say the king is in the corner um so to to castle this side, you have you have to clear a whole lot of pieces. uh well, what would castling the king, look like though? No, the king would go here and the rook would go there. Oh, okay. Um, and that's happened in my games as well. Like I forgot about castling, uh, and I'd be like attacking a king over here, and then all of a sudden it escapes to the other side. I think um, I think Fischer chess is it is good that it it's the maps will generally be worse than regular chess like i think the starting position is as close to ideal for creating a competitive game as possible but they will still be like interesting and diverse enough that
0: you can play very um very interesting games so when you say maps there's 960 different options and like what fraction of that creates interesting games at the highest level? I mean, th- th- this is something that a lot of people are curious about because uh, when you challenge a great chess player like yourself to uh, to look at a random starting position, that feels like it pushes you to play pure chess versus memorizing lines. Oh yeah, and all for that sure. Kind or of
1: oh, for sure, but that's that's the whole idea.
0: Yeah, that's what you want. And uh... how hard is it to play? I mean, can you talk about what what it feels like to you to play? the random starting position, is there some like, intuition you've been building up?
1: It's very, very different.
0: And I mean, understandably,
1: engines have an even greater advantage in 960 than they have in in classical chess. No, it's it's super interesting. Uh, and that's why also, I really wish that we uh, played more classical chess, like long games. Four to seven hours, and in, in um, Fish Random chess, chess nine sixty, because then you really need, you really need that time, even on the first moves. What it, what usually happens is that you get fifteen minutes before the game. You you're getting told the position fifteen minutes before the game, and then you uh, you can think about it li- a little bit, even you know check the computer. But mm-hmm. that's all the time you have. But then you really need to figure it out, and like. Some of the positions obviously are a lot more interesting in, than the others. In some of them, it appears that like if you don't play symmetrically at the start, then you're probably going to be in a pretty bad bad position. What do you mean with the pawns? With the what? pawns, yeah. Wh- well, Why? How so does so that that's make the sense? thing about that's the thing about chess, though. So let's say white opens with e4, which is which has always been the most played move. There are many ways to meet that, but th- the most solid ways of playing has always been the symmetrical response. Yeah, uh, with e five, and then there's the the Lopez, there's the um, there's the Petrov opening, and 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 so on. And if you just banned symmetry on the first move in chess, you would get more interesting games. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, or you you'd get more decisive. Um, decisive games. So that's the good thing about chess is that we've played it so long that we've actually devised non-symmetrical openings that are also fairly equal. Mm -hmm. But uh, symmetry is a good default. But yeah, symmetry is a good default and and it's a problem that by playing symmetrical armed with good preparation in in regular chess, it's just a little bit too too easy to... uh, It's a little bit too too dryish. And um, I guess if you analysed if you analyzed a lot in in nine sixty then um the um a lot of the position would end up be being um pretty drawish as well um but because oh, c- c-
0: the random starting points is so, so shitty you're forced to you're actually
1: forced to play symmetrically like you cannot actually try and play in a more sort of interesting
0: uh interesting manner uh is there any other kind of variations that are interesting to you?
1: Oh yeah there are there are several. Uh, so no castling chess has been uh, ha- has been promoted by former w- world champion Vladimir Kramnik. There have been a few tournaments with that, not any that I've participated in though. um I kind of like it. also my coach uses like non-castling engines quite a bit to analyze re- regular positions to just to get a different different perspective um
0: so, so castling is like a defensive thing so if you remove castling it forces you to be more offensive is that why or? yeah
1: it just yeah for, for for sure um it seems like a tiny I, I think little it, it, difference it, um no castling probably forces you to be a little bit more defensive at the start or i would guess so mm-hmm. because you cannot suddenly escape with them with with the kings that it, it's going to make the game a bit slower at the start but uh i feel like eventually it's going to um, uh it's going to make the more games more um uh well less drawish for for sure uh then you have some weirder variants like um, where the pawns can move both uh diagonally and um and forward uh and also you have self-capture chess which is quite interesting so that pawns can or um excuse like sui-
0: could c- commit suicide or what? yeah people can why would that be a use a good move
1: no s- sometimes one of your pieces occupy a square i mean uh let me just set up a position let's put put it like put it like this uh for instance like here i mean there are a lot of ways to checkmate for white like this for instance or there are several ways mm-hmm. um but like this would be uh would be uh <laughs> oh
0: cool uh for people who are just listening yeah basically you bring in a, a knight close to the the, the whole the, the the king the queen and so on yeah. and you replace the knight with a queen yeah that's interesting so you have like a a front of of uh pieces and then you just replace them with the with the second yeah of piece. uh that, that's cool. i mean
1: that could be interesting i think also maybe sometimes in it's just clearance basically yeah. it adds an extra element of uh of, uh, of clearance. So uh, I think there, there are many, um, many uh, different variants. I don't think any of them are better than the one that has been played for uh, at least a thousand years, but um, it's <laughs> yeah. certainly interesting to, um,
0: to see. So one of your goals is to reach the FIDE ELO chess rating of 2900. Maybe you can comment on how is this rating calculated and what does it take to get there? is it possible for a human being to get there?
1: Basically, you play with a factor of um, 10, uh, which means that if I were to play against um, an opponent who's rated the same as me, I would be expected to score 50%, obviously, and that means that I would win five points with a win, uh, lose five points with a draw, and then equal if if I draw. If your opponent is 200 points lower rated, you're Expected to score seventy five percent, and 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 so on.
0: And you establish that rating by playing a lot of people, and then it slowly yeah. converges towards an estimate of how likely you are to win or lose against different. Yeah. people. Yeah, and uh, my
1: rating is obviously carried through thousands of of games. Um, right now, my rating is twenty eight sixty one, which is decent. Like I think that pretty much corresponds to uh, to the level I have at at the moment uh, which means in order to reach 2900 i would have to either get better at chess which i think is fairly hard to to do at least considerably better so what i would need to do is try and optimize even more in terms of the matchups the preparations, game preparations everything but not 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 necessarily like selecting tournaments and so on but like just Optimizing in terms of of preparation, like making sure I'm, I'm I never have any bad days, and
0: you. So you basically can't lose.
1: Yeah, I basically can't fuck up ever uh, <laughs> if I wanna if if I wanna reach that goal. And so I I think reaching twenty nine hundred is pretty unlikely. Um, the reason I've set the goal is to have something to to play for, to have like. To have a motivation to actually try and and be at my best when I play, because otherwise, I'm playing to some extent mostly for for fun these days. Uh, in that, I love to play, I love to try and win, but I don't have like a lot to. Uh, I don't have a lot a lot to prove or anything, uh, but that gives me at least the motivation to try and. Try and be at my best all, all the time, which I think is something to um to, to aim for. So at the moment I'm quite enjoying that process of um uh of trying to um yeah, trying to optimize.
0: What would you say motivates you in this now and in the years leading up to now? The love of winning or the fear of losing? So for the world
1: championship, it's been fair of losing for sure. Other tournaments, love of winning is a great, great factor. And that's why I also get more joy from, from winning most tournaments than I do for winning the world championship because then it's mostly been a a relief. I also think I enjoy winning more now than I did before because I feel like I'm a little bit more relaxed now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I also know that it's you know it's not gonna last forever, so every every little win i I appreciate um appreciate a lot more now and, and yeah, in terms of fear, fear of losing, like that's a huge reason why I'm not gonna play the world championship because uh i it really didn't didn't give me give me a lot of joy it It really was all about avoiding losing.
0: Why is it that the world championship really makes you feel this way? the anxiety so and when you say losing do you mean not just a match but like every single position like, uh, like no, the, it's just, the it, fear of a blunder
1: no i mean the blunder is okay like when i sit down at the board then it's it's mostly been fine because then uh then i'm focused on got it then i'm focused on the game and then i know i know that i can play the game it's a time like in between like knowing that you know i feel like losing is not an option because it's the world championship. And because in a world championship, there are two players, there's a a winner and a loser. If I don't win a random tournament that I play, then, you know, I'm usually, it depends on the tournament. I might be disappointed for sure, might even be pretty pissed, but ultimately, you know, you go on to the next one. With the world championship, you don't go on to the next one. It's like, it's years. Yeah. And, it also has been like it's been a core part of my identity for a while now that I am world champion. And so there's not an option of of losing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's uh you're going to have to at least for a couple of years carry the the weight of having lost. You're the former world champion now if you lose versus the current world champion. There are certain sports that create that anxiety and others that don't. For example, I think UFC like mixed martial arts are a little better with losing. It's understood, like everybody loses. Um uh, but there's not a, everybody though. Not everybody. Not everybody. <laughs> not everybody. <laughs> yes. Could be to the chat. Uh, <laughs> but in boxing there is like that extra pressure of like maintaining the championship. I mean maybe you could say the same thing about the the UFC as well. So for you personally, for a person who loves chess the first time you won the world championship that was that was the big that was the thing that was fun yeah and then um, everything after is like stressful
1: yeah uh essentially there was certainly stress uh involved the first time as well um but it was nothing compared to uh compared to the others so the only world championship after that that I really enjoyed was the one in 2018 against the American Fabiano Caruana. Mm-hmm. And what that made that different is that I'd been kind of slumping for a bit and he'd been on the rise. So our ratings were very, very similar. They were so close that if at any point during the during the match, I'd lost the game. Um he would have been ranked as number 1 in the world like our ratings were so close that for each draw
0: they didn't move mm-hmm. and and the game itself was close like, yeah the games go,
1: themselves were very close uh, i i had a, a winning position in in the first game then i couldn't really get anywhere for a lot of games then he, he had a couple of games where he could potentially have won um then in the last game i was a little bit better and eventually they they were all they were all drawn, but I felt like all the way that this is an interesting match against an, an opponent who is at this position uh, at this point equal to me. And so losing that would not have been a dis- disaster because all, in all the other matches, I would know that I would have lost against somebody who I know I'm much better than, and that would be, would be a lot harder for me to, um, to take.
0: Well, that's fascinating and beautiful that the stress isn't from losing. Because you have fun. You enjoy playing against somebody who's as good as you, maybe better than you. That's exciting to you. Yeah. Uh, It's it's losing at this high stakes thing that only happens rarely to a person who's not as good as you. Yeah,
1: and that's why it's also been incredibly frustrating in other matches. Like when I know, when we play draw after draw, And I can just, I I know that I'm better. I can sense during the game that I understand it better than them, but I cannot, you know, I cannot get
0: over the hump. So you are the best chess player in the world and you not playing the world championship really makes the world championship not seem important. Or, I mean, there's an argument to be made for that. Um, Is there anything you would like to see if you had a change about the world championship that would make it more fun for you and better for the game of chess period for everybody involved.
1: So I think 12 games or now 14 games that there is for the world championship is a fairly fairly low sample size. If you want to determine who the best player is, or at least the best player in that particular matchup, you need more more games. And I, I think to some extent, if you're gonna have a world champion and call them the best players, you best player, you got to make sure that the format increases the chance of finding finding the best players. So I think having more games, and if you're gonna have a lot more games, then you need to then you need to decrease the time control a bit, which in turn I think is also uh, a good thing because in very long time controls with Deep preparation—you can sort of mask a lot of your deficiencies as, as, as a chess player um, with uh, because you have a lot of time to to think and to defend, and also, yeah, you have deep preparation. Um, so I think those would be for me to play. Uh, those would be the the main the main um, the main things: more more games and, and less time. So
0: you want to see more games. And uh rules that emphasize pure chess.
1: Yeah, but already less time emphasize emphasizes pure pure chess because um defensive techniques are are much harder to execute with, with little time. What
0: do you think? Is there a sweet spot in terms of are we talking about blitz? Is it how many? I think minutes? blitz
1: is a bit too fast. Yeah. Um to their credit, this was suggested by by Fida as well for a start to have Two games per day, and let's say you have forty-five minutes uh, a game plus fifteen or or thirty seconds per move. That means that each sessions will probably be about or a little less than two hours. Yeah, that would be would be a start. Also, what what we're playing in the tournament that I'm playing here in 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 Miami, which is um, four games a day uh, with uh, fifteen minutes plus ten seconds per move. Oh those were would be um more interesting than than the one there is now. And I, I understand that there are a lot of traditions. People don't want to change the world championship. That's that's all fine. I just think that um the world championship should do a better job of trying to reflect who who's the best overall chess player.
0: So would you would you say like if it's faster games, you'd probably be able to get a sample size of like over 20 games, 20, 30, 40. you think there's a number that's good over a long period of time? Well, I would prefer as many as possible.
1: So but... like a <laughs> hundred? Um, yeah, but let's say you play 12 days, two games a day, you know, that's 24. Yeah. I feel like that's already quite a bit better. You play like one black game, one white game each
0: day. Uh, Endurance-wise, that's okay?
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. Like you will have three days as well. So I don't think that will be, will be a problem. And also, you have to prepare two sets of openings for each day, which makes it more difficult for the teams preparing. Yeah, I think is also good.
0: Let me ask you a fun question: If uh, Hikaru and Nakamura was one of the two people, uh, what? I guess I apologize. Uh, Yeah,
1: he could have he could have finished second. Yeah, so he lost the last round of
0: the candidates. Yeah, and you uh, put maybe you can explain to me? Internet speed copium is something you tweeted. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but if he if he got second, w- would, you, uh, all, would you would you would <laughs> you just despite him still still play the world championship? That's internet question. And when the internet asks, I must abide. The dude okay. abides.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Thank you, internet. <laughs> so after the last match, uh, I did an interview uh, r- right after where I talked about the fact that I was unlikely to play the next one I'd spoken privately to both family friends and of course also my chess team that this was likely going to be the last the last match um what happened was that right before the world championship match there was this young player Alireza Firouzja he had a dramatic rise he rose to second in the world rankings he was 18 then. Ni- he's 19 now. He qualified for the candidates, and it felt like there was like a, at least a half realistic possibility that he could be the challenger for the next world championship. Uh, and that sort of lit a fire under me. Do um, so you like that idea? Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I like that a lot. I love the idea of of playing him in the next world world championship. And originally, I just. I was sure that I wanted to announce right after the tournament, uh, the match, that this was it. Yeah. I'm done, I'm not playing the next one. But this lit a fire under me. So that made me think, you know, this actually motivates me. And yeah. I just wanted to get it out there for several reasons to create more hype about the candidates, mm-hmm. to like sort of motivate myself a little bit, may- maybe motivate him. Also, obviously, I wanted to give people and people a heads up for the candidates that you might be playing for more than more than first place. Like normally, yeah. the candidates is it's first place or bust. It's like the world yeah. championship. Um, yeah. And and then so Nakamura was one of my, many people who just didn't believe me. Yeah. Which is fair because I've talked before about not not necessarily wanting to to defend again. But I never like talked as concretely or was as serious as this time. So he simply didn't believe me. And he was very vocal about that. And he said, Nobody believed me, no none no, of no the players, which may or, may or may not have been true. And then yeah, he lost the he lost the last game and he didn't didn't qualify. But to answer the question, no, I'd already at that point decided that I wouldn't wouldn't play. I would have liked it less. If you had <laughs> if you had not lost the last round, but the decision was but made. the decision was already um was already made does it uh does it break your
0: heart a little bit that you're walking away from it in all the ways that you mentioned that it's just not f- fun there's a a bunch of ways that it doesn't seem to bring out the best kind of chess it doesn't bring out the best out of you in the particular opponents involved does it just break your heart a little bit like you're walking away from something, or maybe the entire chess community is walking away from a kind of a historic event that was so important in the 20th century, at least.
1: So I won the championship in 2013. I said no to the candidates in 2011. I didn't particularly like the format. I also wasn't, I was just not in the mood. I didn't want the pressure that, was connected with the world championship and I was perfectly content at the time to play the tournaments that I did play. Um, also to to be ranked number one in the world, I was comfortable with the fact that I knew that I was, I was the best and I didn't need a title to, yeah. to show others. Um, and what happened later is I suddenly decided to play. Um, in 2013, I liked, they changed the format. I, I liked it better um i just decided you know it could be interesting let's try and get this um there w- there really wasn't more than <laughs> more than that to it it wasn't like fulfill fulfilling lifelong dream or anything i just thought you know let's let's play
0: um so it's just a cool tournament a good yeah challenge. It's, it's a cool cool tournament
1: it's a good challenge you know why not it's it's something that's could be a motivation, it motivated me to get in the in the best shape of my life that I had been till then, so it was a good thing uh and twenty thirteen match brought me a lot of lot of joy as well, so I'm very very happy that i that I did that, but I never had any thoughts that I'm gonna like keep the title for for a long time immediately after the match in twenty thirteen i I mean also before the match I'd spoken against the fact that the champion is seeded into the final, which I thought was unfair. After the match, I made a proposal that we have a different system where the champion doesn't have these privileges. And people's reaction, both players and uh, chess community, was general, uh, generally like, "Okay, we're good. We don't, we don't want that. You keep your privileges." And I was like, "Okay, whatever." So you want to fight for it every time? Yeah. I I want that.
0: I have to ask, just in case you have an opinion, uh, if you can, maybe from a fantasy chess perspective, uh, analyze uh, Ding versus Nepo, who wins? The current, the two people that would play if you're not playing.
1: Generally, I would consider that Ding has a slightly better overall
0: chess strength. Um, What are the strengths and weaknesses of each, if you can kind of summarize it
1: um so nepo he's even better at calculating short lines than i am um uh, but he can sometimes like a little bit of little bit of depth uh like he's in short lines he's an absolute calculation monster he's extremely uh he's extremely quick but he can sometimes like a bit of depth also recently um he's improved his openings quite a bit so now he um he has a lot of a lot of good ideas and he's very, very solid. Um Ding is not quite as well prepared, but he has an excellent understanding of dynamics and imbalances in, in chess, I would uh I would say. What do you mean by imbalances? Um imbalances like bishop bishops against knights and material yeah. imbalances. He can take advantage of those. Yes, I would say he's very, very good at that and understanding the, you know, the dynamic factors as we call
0: them, like material versus time, uh, especially. I think Nepo got the better of him in the candidates. So, what's your sense why Ding has an edge in the in the championship?
1: I feel like individual past results hasn't necessarily been great indicator of world championship results mm-hmm. uh i feel like over ch- overall stress strength is more more important i, I mean I, to be fair i only think like ding has a very small edge like mm-hmm. difference is not big at all but our individual head-to-head record was probably the main reason that a lot of people thought nepo had a good chance against me as well it was like four to one in his favor before the match. But that was just another example of why that may not necessarily mean anything also in our case, it was a very very low sample size i th- I think about the size of of the of of the match in total
0: fourteen games, and that generally doesn't doesn't mean much. How close were those games would you say in your mind for the previous championship so th- that game six where it was a turning point where you won um was there any doubt in your mind that you know, like if you do a much larger sample size, you'll get the better of Nepo.
1: No, no, larger larger sample size is always good for me. So, World Championship is it's it's a great parallel to to football because it's a low scoring game, and if the better player or the better team scores, they win most of the time.
0: Oh, that's generally for for big, for championships or in general.
1: Yeah, for for championships, like they generally generally win uh because the other slightly weaker team they're good enough to defend to make it very very difficult for the others but when they actually have to create the chances then they have no chance and then it very often ends with a blowout as it did in our our match if i hadn't won game six it probably would have been very very close he might have edged it there's obviously a bigger chance that i I would have edged it. But this is just what happens a lot in, in chess, but also in, in, in football, that matches are close and then they... Somebody scores. Somebody scores and, and then, then things, things change. And this gives people the illusion that the matchup was very close. Yeah. Which, while well, actually it just means that the nature of the game makes the matches close very often, but it's always much more likely that one of the teams is going to or one of the players is going to break away than the others and in other matches as well even though a lot of people before the match in 2016 uh, against uh, um against Karjakin uh, there were people who thought before the match that I was massively overrated as 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 a favorite and that essentially the match was pretty pretty close, like whatever, uh, 60, 40, or some people even say like 55, 45. And what I felt was that the match went very, very wrong for me and I still won. Uh, and some people saw that as an indication that the pre-match probabilities were probably a bit closer than people thought. Well. I would look at it in that in the way that everything went wrong and I I still I still won which probably means that I was a pretty big favorite to begin with.
0: I do have a question to you about that match but first so Sergey Karyakin was originally a qualifier for the candidate, candidate tournament but was disqualified for breaching the FIDE code of ethics after publicly expressing approval for the 2022 Russian invasion in Ukraine. When you look at the cold war and some of the U.S. versus Russian games of the past. Does politics, does the, the, some of this geopolitics, politics ever creep its way into the game? Do you feel the pressure, the immensity of that, as it does sometimes for the Olympics? You know, these big nations playing each other, competing against each other, almost like fighting out in a in a friendly way the battles, the tensions that they have in the space of geopolitics.
1: Yeah, I think it still does so the president of the world chess federation who was just reelected is 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 a russian like i like him personally uh for sure um uh, but he is quite connected to the kremlin like and it's quite clear that the kremlin considers it at least a semi-important goal to bring the chess crown home to to russia so it's still it's still definitely a a factor and i mean i can answer for in the Karyakin case, like. I don't have a strong opinion on on whether he should have been banned or not. Obviously, I don't agree with anything that he he says. But in principle, I think that you should ban either no Russians or all Russians. I'm generally not particularly against either. But I don't love... Banning wrong opinions, even if they are um, as uh, reprehensible as uh, as has have been.
0: Yeah, there's something about the World Chess Championships or the Olympics where it feels like banning is counterproductive to the alleviating some of the conflicts.
1: We don't know. This is the thing, though. Yeah, we really don't know about the the long term yeah. conflicts. And a lot of people try to do the right the right thing in this sense, which I don't really blame at all. It's just that. It's just that we don't know. And I guess sometimes it's, there are other ways you wanna try and try and help as well.
0: See, like within the competition, within some of those battles of US versus Russia or so on of the past, there's also between the individuals, um, maybe you'll disagree with this, but from a spectator perspective, there's still a camaraderie. Like at the end of the day, there's a thing that unites you, which which is this like appreciation of the fight over the chessboard. It's um even if you hate each other. Yeah, in no, a moment. For, for
1: sure. I, I think for every every match that's been, you would briefly discuss the game with your opponent after after the game, no matter how much you hate each other. And <laughs> I, I think that's lovely. Uh, and Kasparov, I mean, he was quoted like one somebody in his team asked him, like, why why are you talking to, to Karpov after the game? Like he' You hate that guy, and he's like, "Yeah, sure, but he's the only one who understands me." Yeah, the only <laughs> yeah. one who understands. So that's uh, no. I think that's really lovely, and I, I would love to see that in other in other areas was, as well. That you can, regardless of what happens, you can have you can have a good chat about the game. You can you can just talk about the ideas
0: with people who who understand what you what you understand. So if you're not playing the World Championships, there's a lot of people who are saying that perhaps the world championships don't matter anymore. Do you think um, there's some truth to that?
1: I said that back a long time ago as well, that for me, I don't know if it never happened, so I don't know what would have happened, but I was thinking like the moment that I realized that I'm not the best player in the world, like I I felt like morally I have to renounce the world championship Mm -hmm. title, you know? Because it doesn't mean anything as long as you're not the best player.
0: So the ratings really tell a, a bigger a clearer sto- a story.
1: I think so at least at least over time. Like I'm a lot more proud of my streak of being rated number 1 in the world which is now since I think the summer of 2011. Uh I'm a lot more proud of of that than than the world championships.
0: How much anxiety or, or even fear do you have before making a difficult decision on the chessboard. So when it's a high stakes game, how nervous do you get? How much anxiety do you have and all that calculation you're sitting there for 10, 15 minutes? Cause you're in a fog. There's always a possibility of a blunder, of a mistake. Are you anxious about it? Are you afraid of it?
1: Really depends. Um I have been I have been at times. I think the most nervous I ever been was game 10 of uh, the world championships in 2018. I that was just a thrilling game. I was black. Um, I basically an- abandoned the queen side at some point to attack him on the king side. And I knew that my attack, if it doesn't work, I'm, I'm gonna lose. But I, I had so much adrenaline. So that was that was fine. I thought I was gonna win. Then at some point I realized that it's not so clear. And then my time was ticking and I was just getting so nervous. I, I, I still remember what happened. Like we played this time trouble phase where he had very little time, but I had even less. And I just remember, I cannot remember mu- much of it. Just that when it was over, I was just so relieved because then it was clear that the position was probably gonna peter out in, um, in a draw. Otherwise, I'm often nervous before games. But when I get there, it's all business, and especially when I'm playing well, I'm never afraid of of losing when I when I play, because I trust yeah I trust my instincts I trust my uh, my skills.
0: How much psychological intimidation is there from you to the other person, from the other person to you? I
1: think people would play a lot better if they played against an anonymous me. I would love to.
0: Or oh, people are scared of
1: you I I, w- I would love to to have a tournament online where let's say you play 10 of the best players in the world
0: and you don't, for each round, you don't know who you're playing. Would pe- That's an interesting question. You know, like there's these like videos where people eat McDonald's or Burger King or Diet Coke versus Diet Pepsi. Would people be able to tell they're playing you? Uh, like... From the style of play, do you think, um, or from the strength of play?
1: If there was a decent sample size, sure. Um, and what
0: about um, you? Would you be able to tell uh, others
1: inter- in like in top just ten? one game?
0: Very unlikely. What what sample size would you need to tell accurately? I feel like it's a science.
1: Uh, ac- yeah, I I think twenty games would help a lot per person. Yeah. But uh, I know that they've already developed AI bots that are pretty good at recognizing
0: somebody's style.
1: Okay. Which is, um, which is quite fascinating.
0: Uh, <laughs> and it'd be fascinating if those bots were able to summarize the style somehow. Maybe great attacking chess, like some of the same characteristics you've been describing, like great at short yeah. line calculations, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or to I just mean, talk re- shit? really? No, but really, all the best chess players,
1: there are basically just two camps: people who are good at long, longer lines or, or shorter lines. It's the hare and the tortoise, basically. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm the closest you can get
0: to a a hybrid of those. Because you got both the, uh, you, you're good in every positions in the middle game and the end game
1: yeah and also i can I, I can think to some extent both rapidly and deeply which a lot of people they can't do both um but i mean to to answer your question from before i think yeah i sometimes can get a little bit intimidated by my opponent but it's mostly if there's something unknown if it's mostly if it if it's something that i don't understand fully and i I do think especially when i'm playing well people they just play more timidly against me than they do against each other sometimes without even realizing it and i certainly use that to my my advantage if i sense that my opponent is apprehensive if i sense that they are not going to necessarily take all their chances it just means that i can take more risk and um
0: I always try and try and find that uh, balance <laughs> to shake them up a little bit. Yeah. What What's been the toughest loss of your career that you remember? Would that be the um, the world championship match? Oh yeah, against- for sure. Uh, Can you ta- game, take
1: game eight in 2016?
0: And who was it against? Uh, against Karyakin in in, in New York. Um, Can you take it through the story of that game? Um, Where were you uh, before that game in terms of game one through seven?
1: Yeah, so game one and two, not much happened. Uh, game three and four, I was winning in both of them. And uh, normally, I should definitely have converted both. I couldn't, partly due to good defense on, on his part, but mostly because I just, I messed up. Uh, and then after that, games five, six, and seven, not much happened. I, w- I was getting impatient at at, at that point. Um, so for game 8, I was probably ready to take a little bit more risks than I, I had before, which I guess was insane because I knew that he couldn't beat me unless I beat myself. <laughs> uh, like he wasn't strong enough to outplay me.
0: And he- that was leading to impatience somehow and impatience...
1: No, because I knew that I was better, yeah, I knew that I was better. I knew that I just needed to win one game, and then the match is over, yeah, that's what happened in in twenty twenty one as well like when I won the first game against Nepo, I knew that the match was over, unless I like fuck up royally, then he's not gonna be able to beat me, So what happened was that I played a kind of an innocuous opening as White, just trying to get a game, trying to get him out of book as soon as possible. Then- uh, Can you elaborate? Innocuous, get him out of the book. Uh, no, but ba- basically I, I set up pretty defensively as wide. I I wasn't really crossing into his half at the start at all. I was just, I played more like a system more than like a concrete opening. It was like, I'm gonna set up my pieces this way. You can set them up however you want. And then later where sort of the armies are gonna meet. I'm I'm not gonna try and bother you at the
0: start. And that means- you can have with as many pieces as possible, kind of pure chess in the middle game without any of the the lines, the the standard lines in the opening. Exactly.
1: And so there was at some point a couple of exchanges, then some maneuvering, flip a little bit better. Then he was sort of equalizing and then I started to take too many risks and I was still sort of fine. Um, But then at some point I realized that I'd gone a bit too far and I had to be really careful. Then I just froze. I just completely froze. Uh, mentally? Like what, Yeah, mentally. What, what I, happened? I realized that, I mean, all the thoughts of, I might lose this. What have I done? Why did I take so many risks? I knew that I could have drawn at any moment. Just be patient. Don't give him these opportunities.
0: What triggered that? Like. Face transition in your mind. No, it is was the one thing. Or no, it many was just
1: uh, a position on the board. Like realizing, like there was one particular move he played that I missed, and then, like, and then I I realized that this could potentially not go go my way. So then I made another couple of mistakes, and he, to his credit, like once he realized he had the chance, he was like he knew that this was his one chance. He had to take it, and so he did and yeah that's that's the the worst i've ever felt after um after a chess game i realized that i'm probably going to lose my title against somebody who's not even close to my level and i've done it because of my own stupidity most of all uh and that was really really um at the time like i was all in my own head that was that was hard to deal with and i felt like i didn't really recover too much for the next game so what i did there was a free day after the eighth game so i did something that i never did at any other world championship like i after game eight i just i got drunk with my team (laughs) And, that's uh, not a
0: standard procedure?
1: No, no. That's that's the only time that's happening um, in the World Championship during the match. So, yeah. I just tried to forget. Uh, but still, before Game 9... I, game 9, I was a little bit more relaxed. But I was still a bit nervous. Then Game 9, I was almost lost as well. And then only Game 10. Game 10, I was still... I wasn't in a great mood. I was really, really tense. Um, the opening was good. Uh I had some advantage. I was getting optimistic. Then I made one mistake. He could have forced a draw. And then the old all the negativity came back. Like I was thinking during the game, like how I'm gonna play for a win with black in the next game. Like what 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 am I doing? Hmm. And then, you know, eventually it ended it ended well. It didn't find the right line. I ground him down. Actually, I played at some point pretty well in the end game. And um, after that game, like there was such a weight lifted. Lip- lifted. No, the, I, I, after that, there was like no thought of losing the match whatsoever. I knew that, okay, I'd basically gotten away with, um, not with murder, but getting, gotten <laughs> away with something.
0: What can you say about the, after game eight, where are the places you've gone in your mind? do you go to some dark places we're talking about like depression do you think about quitting at that point
1: no i mean i i think about quitting every time i lose the classical game (laughs) or at least i used to yeah like especially if it's in a stupid way i'm thinking like okay if i'm gonna gonna play like this if i'm gonna do things that i know are wrong then you know i might as well quit no that's happened that's happened a bunch of bunch of times and I definitely gotten a bit more carefree about losing these days which it's not necessarily a good thing like my hatred of losing led to me not losing a lot and it also lit the fire under me that i think my performance after losses in in classical chess over the last 10 years is like over 2900 mm-hmm. like i really play well after a loss even though it's really really unpleasant so apparently like i don't think the way that i dealt with them is particularly healthy but
0: it's worked (laughs) it's worked so far but then you've discovered now a love for winning to where ultimately longevity wise creates more fun
1: yeah for sure yeah
0: what's the perfect day in the life of magnus carlson on a day of a big chess match it doesn't have to be world championship but if if it's if it's a chess match you care about, what uh what time do you wake up? What do you eat?
1: What uh t- it depends on when the game is. But let's say the game is at three. Uh, I'll probably wake up uh pretty late at about eleven, then I'll go for go for a walk. Uh might listen to some podcasts. Maybe I'll spend a little bit of time looking at some, you know, some NBA game from the last night or whatever. So not chess related stuff. No, 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 no. Uh, then I'll, I'll get back, I'll have big lunch, like usually like a big omelet with a bunch of salad and stuff. Then go to the game, win like a very nice clean game. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect day. Just go back after, relax. Like the the things that make me the the happiest at tournaments is just having a good routine and uh, feeling feeling well. Um, I don't like it when too much is happening around me. So the tournament that I came from now was um, the Chess Olympiad, which is the team event. Mm-hmm. So we were a team, Norway. We did horribly. Yeah, uh, I like I did okay, but the team in general did did horribly. Uh Who won I did- that Italy. Uh, uh, no, no, little bit us, but Uzbekistan won in the end, yeah. they, uh, were this amazing team of young players. It was really, it was really impressive. But the thing is like, we had a good camaraderie in the team. We had our meals together. We played a bit of football, went swimming and. I couldn't understand why things went wrong and I still don't understand. But the thing is for me, it was all very nice, but now I'm just so happy to be on my own at a tournament, just to have my own routines, not see too many people. Yeah. Otherwise just have like a very small team of people that I see.
0: You are a kind of celebrity now. So, you know, people within the chess tournament and outside recognize you want to socialize want to tell you about how much you mean to them, how much you inspire them, all that kind of stuff. Does that get in the way for you when you're like trying to really focus on on the match? Are you able to uh, block that? Like, are you able to enjoy that those little interactions and still keep your focus? Yeah, uh, most of the time that's
1: uh, that's fine as long as it's not too much. But I have to admit, when I'm at home in Norway, I, I rarely go out with like, without um, big headphones and something <laughs>
0: Oh, else. like a disguise? Oh. On my, no, not a disguise,
1: just to block out the world. Yeah. Otherwise. Um,
0: don't make eye contact. Yeah, d- no, eye- no,
1: so the thing is people in general are nice. <laughs> I mean, people, they wish me well uh, and they don't like bother me, also when I have the headphones on, I don't notice as much people like turning around and yeah. and all
0: of that. So I can be more of in my own world. Uh, <laughs> so I like that. Yeah. Uh, what about after the, the, in this perfect day after the game, do you try to analyze what happened? Do you try to think through systematically or do you just kind of loosely think about like- No, I around? just
1: loosely think about it. I, I've never been very structured in, in that sense. Um, I know that, it was always recommended that you analyze your your own games, but I I generally felt that I mostly had a good idea about that. Like nowadays, I will like loosely see what the engine says at at a certain point if I'm curious about
0: that. Otherwise, I usually move on to the next. What about diet? You said omelet and salad and so on. I heard uh, in your conversation with the uh, with the other Magnus Magnus number two about. You're, you had like this bet about meat. One of you gonna go vegan if you lose. I forget which bet? vegetarian though. Ah, uh, vegetarian. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, you both have an admiration for meat. Is there um, is there some aspect about optimal performance that you look for in food? Like maybe eating only like once or twice a day, or a particular kind of food, like meat-heavy diet. Is there anything like that, or you just try to have fun with the food?
1: I think. Um whenever I'm at tournaments, like it's very natural to eat at least for me, to eat only twice a day. So usually I do that when I'm at home as well.
0: Before, so you you do eat before the tournament though. You don't you don't play fasted.
1: No, 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 no. Um but I try not to eat too heavy before the game or in general to avoid sugary stuff, to have a pretty stable uh blood sugar level because that's the easiest way to make mistake that your your energy levels just suddenly suddenly drop and they don't necessarily mean need to be too high as long as they're
0: pretty stable yeah have you ever tried playing fasted like you know like uh intermittent fasting so oh. playing without having eaten i mean the reason i ask you know uh i've especially when you do a low carb diet when i've done a person a low carb diet I'm able to fast for a long time, like eat once a day, maybe uh, twice a day. But I just, the mind is most focused on like really difficult thinking tasks when it's fasted. It's an interesting, and a lot of people kind of talk about that. Yeah, but you're able to kind of like zoom in. And if you're doing a low carb diet, you don't have this energy, the energy stable.
1: No, that is true. Maybe that will be interesting to try. So, what's happened for me is I played a few tournaments where I've had food poisoning and then that generally means that you're both sleep deprived and you have no energy yeah and what i've found is that it makes me to some it makes me very calm of course because i don't have the energy and it makes me super creative like interesting being sleep deprived i think in general makes you creative just <laughs> the first thing that goes away is the ability to do the simple things that that's that's what a it affects you the most like you cannot be precise so i'm that's the only thing i'm worried about like if if i'm fasted that i won't be won't be um,
0: precise when i play but you might be more creative it's an interesting fasted yeah potentially what about you have been known to on a rare occasion play drunk is there a mathematical formula for sort of on the X-axis, how many drinks you had, and on the Y-axis, your performance slash creativity? Is there like an optimal for... Like uh, one of the... Th- would you suggest for the FIDE World Championship that people would be required to drink? Would that change things in <laughs> interesting ways?
1: Yeah, not at all. Um, maybe for Rapid, but for, for Blitz, I think if you're playing Blitz, you're mostly playing on... On short calculation and intuition, and I think those are probably
0: enhanced if you have had a little bit of little bit to drink. Can you uh, explain the uh, the physiology of why that's why it's enhanced, or the you're just you're thinking less, you're more confident. Oh
1: yeah, it's conf- I think <laughs> it's I think confident. it's just confidence. I think also like a lot of people feel like they're better at. Speaking languages, for instance, if they've drunk a little bit. It's just like removing these barriers. Yeah. I think that it's it's a little bit of the same in, in chess. It, in twenty twelve I played the World Bliss Championship and mm-hmm. then I, I was doing horribly for for a long time. I also had food poisoning there. <laughs> I couldn't play at all for, for three days. So there before the last break I was like in the middle of the pack, like in I don't know twentieth place or something, and so I decided like as the last last gasp, I'm gonna go to the mini bar and just have a few drinks and um what happened is that I came back and I was suddenly relaxed hmm. uh and I was playing fast, and I was playing confident, and I thought I was playing so well, I wasn't playing nearly as well as I thought, but it still helped me like I won my remaining eight games, and if there had been one more round, I probably would have won the whole thing. But finally I was I was second. So generally I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> as a last resort sometimes. Like if yeah. you feel that you have the ability. Like obviously none of this is remotely relevant if you don't feel like you have the ability to begin with. But if yeah. you like if you feel like you have the ability, there are just factors that <laughs> make it impossible for you to
0: um to show it like numbing your mind a bit can probably be a good thing. Yeah, well, it's interesting, especially during training, you have all kinds of sports that have interacted with a lot of athletes in grappling sports. It's different when you train under extreme exhaustion. For example, you start becoming, you start to discover interesting things. You start being more creative. Yeah. A lot of people, um, uh, in at least in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they'll they'll smoke weed. You know, it does, it creates this kind of anxiety and relaxation that kind of uh, enables that creative aspect. It's interesting for training. Of course, you can't rely on any one of those things too much, but it, it's cool to throw in like a few drinks every once in a while to, uh, yeah. One, first of all, to relax and have fun, and two, to kind of try things differently, to unlock a different part of your brain. Yeah, for sure uh what about supplements do you uh you're a coffee guy?
1: Oh is- no um I quite like the taste of coffee mm-hmm. uh i've but it, but the thing is I've never had a job <laughs> so I've never needed to wake up early yeah, so my thought is basically that if I'm tired I'm tired that's fine yeah then i'll you know then i'll i'll work it out, so I don't wanna ever. Um, make my brain get used to get used to coffee. Like if you see me drinking coffee, that's that probably means that I'm massively, massively hungover, and <laughs> I don't. I just want want to try anything to to make my brain work.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. But for a lot of people, like you said, taste of coffee. For a lot of people, coffee is part of a, a certain kind of ritual. Yeah, for they sure. Enjoy, you know. So. No, uh, no I, you can I, have I, rituals I know without that I that. would enjoy it a lot. Yeah.
1: No, Though, just you don't no want to rely like on it, that.
0: yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I also like the taste, so there's no problem there. What about exercise? So, how does that what, Like, what, what, you know, a lot of people talk about the extreme um, stress that chest puts in your body physically and mentally. How do you prepare for that? to be physically and mentally. Is it just through playing chess or do you do cardio and you any of that kind of stuff?
1: This is gonna kind of be up and down. Like as I said in twenty thirteen I was in I was in great shape. Like I mean generally I was exercising, doing sports every day, either playing football or um, tennis or even other other sports. Otherwise if I couldn't do that, I would try and take my my bike for for a ride i had a few training camps and i played tennis against one of my my seconds like he's not a super fit guy but he's always been very good at tennis and i never like played in any organized way um and that was like that was the that was the perfect exercise because i was running around enough to make the games pretty competitive mm-hmm. Uh, and it means meant that he had to run a bit less as well. But he was just—he said like he w- he was shocked that if we played like for two hours, I wouldn't flinch at all. Interesting. So like a combination of
0: fun and uh, the differential between skill result in good uh, cardio. Yeah, yeah
1: but it, it's just that. Um, so in those days, I was I was pretty. Uh, I was pretty fit in that sense. I've always liked doing sports, but at times, you know, I, I think in winter, especially, like I never had like a schedule. So at times I let myself go a little bit. Uh, and I've always kind of done it more for for fun than like for a concrete benefit. But now I'm at least after the uh, pandemic, I was not in great shape. So now I'm trying to to get back, get better, Get better habits and uh, and so on, but um, I feel like I've always been the poster boy for making being fit a big thing in chess. And I always felt that it was it's not really deserved because I never liked doing weights much at all. Uh, I run a bit at times, but I never liked it too much. You I just love playing just, sports. I just love playing sports. That I think people confuse that because i'm i'm not like massively athletic but i but i do i'm i am decent at 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 sports and that's that sort of helped build that that perception even though others who are top level chess players um they're more fit like karana for instance he's really really um his body is really really strong it's just that he doesn't he like goes to the gym and, and yeah he like, yeah. doesn't play sports that's that's the that's the difference
0: <laughs> and the thing about sports is also is just uh it's an escape it, may, it helps you forget for for a brief moment about like the the obsessions the pursuits of of the main thing which is chess yeah
1: for, yeah. for uh for sure and i think it's it also helps your main pursuit to feel that you're um even if not mastering, but like doing well in something, um, in something else. Like I found that if I just juggle a ball, that makes me feel better before a game. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a sk- skilled like a activity. Juggle football, yeah.
0: Yeah, sk- skilled activity that you can improve on over time. It fo- it's like flexes the same kind of muscle, but on the thing that you're much worse at. Yeah. Uh, it f- It focuses you, relaxes you. That's really interesting. What uh, What's the perfect day in the life of Magnus Carlsen when he's training? So like, what's a good training regimen in terms of, you know, daily kind of training that you have to put in across many uh, days, months, and years uh, to just keep yourself sharp in terms of chess?
1: I would say when I'm at home, I do very, very little deliberate practice. I've never been that guy at all. Like I've I could never force myself to, just sit down and work
0: so deliberate practice just so maybe you can educate me for some grandmasters what would that look like just doing puzzles kind of thing or yeah yeah,
1: doing puzzles and opening analysis that would be the main things studying games just studying games yeah a little bit but i feel like that's something that i do but it's not deliberate it's like reading our article or reading a book. Got it. Like, I love chess books. I'll read just anything mm-hmm. and I'll find something interesting.
0: So, chess books that are uh, like on openings and stuff like that, or chess books that go over different games? Yeah.
1: Um, Both books on. So, there are three main categories there are books on openings, and there are books on strategy, and there are books on chess history. And I find all of them. Very very interesting.
0: Like what fraction of the day would you say you have a chessboard floating somewhere in your head? Meaning like you're thinking about it.
1: Probably be a better question to ask how many hours a day I don't have a chessboard yeah. board floating in my. Head.
0: <laughs> I mean, it could be just floating there and nothing is happening. But like I I, like... I often do it parallel to some other activity though. And what what does that look like? Like are you daydreaming like different? Is it actual positions you're just fucking around with, like fumbling with different pieces in your head?
1: Often I've looked at a at a random game on my phone, for instance, or in, in a book, and then my brain just keeps going at the same position, analyzing
0: it, and often it goes all the way, you know, to the end game. And those are actual games or you conjure up like fake games?
1: no they were often based on real games uh, and then i'm i'm thinking like oh but it wouldn't be more interesting if the pieces were a little bit
0: different and then often i play it out from there so you don't have a... like you don't sit behind a computer or a chessboard and you lay out the pieces and no, then you're
1: i'm not at all a poster board for deliberate practice i could never i could never work that way my first coach he gave me some Exercises did at home sometimes, but he realized at some point uh, <laughs> that wasn't going to work. Yeah, because I wouldn't do it really uh, or enjoy it. So what he would do instead is that at the school where I had the trainings with him, there was this massive chess library. So he was just like, "Yeah, pick pick out books. You can have anything. You can have anything you want." uh just pick out books you like and then you give it back the next time so that's, that's what i it. did instead yeah i just absolutely rated the <laughs> and then my next tournament i will try out one of the openings from that book if it was an opening book and so on so I, does it feel
0: like a struggle like challenging like to to be thinking of those positions or is it fun and relaxing
1: no it's completely fine i don't
0: like if it's a difficult position to figure out, you know, like to calculate. Then
1: I go on to something else. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like if I can't figure it out, then, you know, then yeah. I go on. <laughs> <laughs> Change it so that it's easier to figure out. There was a point in your life where Kasparov was interested in being your coach or tra- at least training with you. Why, why did you choose not to go with him? That's a pretty bold move. <laughs> was there a good reason for this?
1: No. Um, the first like homework exercise he gave me was to analyze, like he picked out, I think, three or four of my worst losses and he wanted me to to analyze them and give him my thoughts. And it wasn't that there were painful losses or anything, that that was a problem. I just didn't really enjoy that. Also, I felt that this whole structured approach and everything yeah, nice. I, I just felt like from the start it was a, was a hassle so I loved the idea of being able to pick his brain but everything else I just you know couldn't see myself couldn't see myself enjoying and at the end of the day I did then and always have
0: played for fun that's always been like the well, main gr- reason so it's great that you had the confidence to sort of basically turned down the approach of one of the greatest chess players of all time at that time probably the greatest chess player of all time
1: i I, I don't think i thought of it that way i just thought this is not for me i'm going to try another way i don't think i was particularly thinking that this is my one opportunity or anything it was just yeah i don't enjoy this let's try something else
0: (laughs) when you were 13 you faced kasparov uh and he wasn't able to beat you can you go through that match? What did that feel like? How important was that? Was that How epic was that? We played three games. Uh, I lost two and I drew one. Right. But one draw. Yes, no, the one yes.
1: draw. Um,
0: and But didn't you say that you kind of had a better position in that?
1: Yeah. I remember that day very well. There was a Blitz game. This was a rapid tournament. And there was a Blitz tournament the day before, which determined the the pairings for the
0: rapids mm-hmm. um, and for people who don't know super short games are called bullet kind of short games are called blitz semi short games are called rapid. yeah <laughs> and classic chess i guess is like yeah. very super long
1: yeah uh yeah basically bullet just never played over the board so in terms of over the board chess blitz is the shortest rapid is like a hybrid between classical and Blitz, you need to have the skills of both, and then classical is, is long. The Blitz tournament, which didn't go so well. Uh, like, I got a couple of wins, but I was beaten badly in a lot of games, including by Gary. Mm-hmm. And so the, there was the pairing that I had to play him, which is pretty exciting. So I remember I was so tired after the Blitz tournament, like, I slept for 12 hours or something. Then I woke up, like, okay, I'll turn on my computer, I'll search chess space for Kasparov and we'll go from there <laughs> <laughs> so before that i hadn't spent like a lot of time specifically studying his games and it was super intimidating because a lot of these openings i knew i was like oh he was the first one to play that oh that was his idea i actually didn't know that so i was a bit intimidated before we played then of course the first game uh he um arrived a bit late because they changed the time from the first day to the other which is a bit strange and but everybody else had noticed it but him um then he tried to surprise me in the opening I, th- I think like psychologically uh, the situation was not so easy for him like clearly it would be embarrassing for him if he didn't win both games against me then like I was spending way too much time on my moves because I was playing Kasparov, I was double checking everything too much. Like normally I would would be playing pretty fast in those days. And then at some point I calculated better than him. He missed a crucial detail and had a much better position. I couldn't convert it though. I knew what line I had to go for uh, in order to have a chance to win. But I thought like, I'll play a bit more carefully. Maybe I can win still. I couldn't. And uh, then I lost second game pretty badly which it wasn't majorly upsetting but I felt that I had two black games against Kasparov, both in the Blitz and the Rapid and I lost both of them without any fight whatsoever I wasn't happy about that at all that was like less than I I thought I could be able to to do so to me yeah I was proud of that but it was a gimmick I was like a very strong IM, but had GM strength I was like, it can happen that a player of that strength makes a, a draw against Gary once in yeah, a while. But, okay, but, for people but, but I know. mean, I understand that I'm, I'm 13, but like, still, I felt a bit more gimmicky than anything. I mean, I guess it's it's a good thing that made me noticed. Uh, but apart from that, yeah. it wasn't.
0: Yeah. And for people who don't know, I am as international master and uh, GM as grandmaster and you were just on the, I guess, on the verge of becoming a, yeah. a young youngest grandmaster ever.
1: I was the second youngest ever. Yeah. I think I'm like the seventh youngest now. I mean, these kids these days. Are, kids these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. But I, uh, but I was the youngest grandmaster at the time. At the time, uh, at the time in, right. in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there is a, you know, you say it's gimmicky, but there's a romantic notion, is the, especially as things have turned out right like no for sure and have you talked to gary at, since then about that no not really
1: i, I don't i think he's
0: embarrassed about he's that. still bitter you think
1: <laughs> no i don't think he's he's bitter but i i think the game in itself was was a bit embarrassing for him uh so I mean, even he can't see past like is no, like, no, no, no i think he's completely fine with that i think like in retrospect it's a good story he appreciates he appreciates that. I don't think that's the problem, but it never made sense for me to broach the subject with him.
0: Yeah, I, I just I, it's funny just having interacted with Gary, now having talked to you. There is a, a little thing you still hate losing. No matter how beautiful like that moment is, because it's like it in in a way it's a passing of the baton from like one great champion to another. Yeah. Right but like you, you still just don't like the fact that you didn't play a good game from a Gary Gary's perspective. Like he still is just annoyed probably that yeah <laughs> he could have played better. And we did, so we did work together
1: in 2009, quite a lot. And that corporation ended um, early 2010, but we did play a lot of training games in 2009, which was interesting because he was still a very, very strong and at that time it was fairly equal. Like he was uh, playing me quite a bit, but I was I was fighting well. So it was it was pretty um pretty even then. Um so I, I mean I appreciate those games a lot more than some random game from when maybe. I was 13. And I maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about, but I've always found it at least based on that game, you couldn't tell that I was gonna take his. <laughs> That, yes. that I was going to take his spot. Like, I made a horrible blunder and lost to an Uzbek kid in the World Rapid Championship in in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I mean, granted, he was part of the team that now won gold in the Chess Olympiad, but he wasn't a crucial part. He barely played any games. Like, it wasn't like I would think that he would become world champion because he beat me. I'm always skeptical of yeah. those who said that they knew that I was going to be world champion after, uh, after that game or at all at that time. I mean, it was easy to see that I would become a very, very strong player. Uh, everybody could see that, but to be the best in the world or one of the best ever. It's true. That's it, it, hard it's, to say. It's,
0: it is hard to say, but I do remember seeing Messi when he was 16 and 17. Uh,
1: but hasn't that happened with other players though?
0: Yeah, but I I, pers- I just had a personal experience. He did look different than... There's like magic there. You, maybe you can't tell he would be uh, one of the greatest ever, but there's there's still magic. But you're right. Most no. of the time, we're trying to project. We see a young kid being an older person, and you start to think, okay, this could be the next great person. Then we forget when they don't become that. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. I think, what happens. <laughs> but when it does uh, maybe, become... Maybe,
1: uh, or maybe some people are just so good at seeing these patterns that they can actually
0: see. Aren't you supposed to do that kind of thing with fantasy football? Like see the long shot and bet on them and then they turn out to be good? That's, no, that's you, the whole you point. No, you make a lot of, lot of long shot bets and then some of them come good. <laughs> and then people call you a genius for making yeah. the bet. Well, let me ask you the GOAT question. Again, from fantasy perspective, can you make the case for the greatest chess player of all time for each yourself magnus carlson for Garry kasparov i don't know who else bobby fisher Mikhail Tal, anyone else um for uh hikaru nakamura <laughs> just kidding
1: yeah uh i i think i'll i can make a case for um uh, myself for for gary and for fisher so i'll start with fisher uh for him it's very very simple he was ahead of his time, but that's like intangible. You can say that about a lot of people, but he had a peak from 1970 to 72 when he was so much better than the others. He won 20 games in a row. Also the way that he played was so powerful and with so few mistakes that he just had no opposition there. So he had just a peak that's been better than anybody like the gap between first him and others have was greater than it's ever been in history at any other time. Uh, And that would be the argument for, for him, for Gary, he's played in a very competitive era and he's beaten several generations. He was the best. Well, he was the consensus best player, I would say for Almost twenty years, which yeah. nobody else has has done in, at least in recent time, and so the uh, longevity that the longevity for sure. Also, at his peak, he um, was not quite the level of um, of Fisher in terms of the gap, but it was similar to, or I think even a little bit better than than mine. As for me, I'm of course unbeaten as, as a world champion in, in five tries. I've been world number one for 11 years straight in an even more competitive era than Gary. I have the highest chess rating of all time. I have the longest streak ever without losing a game. I think for me, the main argument would be about the era where there's the um, engines have leveled the... Um, playing field so much that it's it's harder to dominate. And still, I haven't always been a clear number one, but I've always, I've been number one for 11 years. And for a lot of the time, the gap has been pretty big. So I think there are decent arguments for for all of them. Um, I've said before, and I haven't changed my mind that Gary generally edges it because of the longevity in, in the competitive era, but um, there are arguments.
0: But people also talk about you in terms of the style of play. So it's not just about dominance or the height or the, it's like, just uh, the creative genius of it. Uh. Yeah,
1: but I'm not interested in that. <laughs>
0: uh, in terms of uh,
1: greatest of all time, uh, I'm not interested in, in, in questions
0: of style. So, so for Messi, you don't give credit for the style. Uh, for the stylistic players. I like I like um, no I like watching it I just but you're not gonna give points for the so Messi No, I mean, best the, ever the, because it, of the finishing no
1: ah, it's, it's the, um, the f- no it's not because of the finishing it's because of his overall impact on the game is higher than anybody else's okay <laughs> <All> <laughs> he <right>. contributes <laughs> he can just contributes more to
0: winning than anybody else does what's um so you're somebody who was advocated for and has done quite a bit of study of classic games what would you say is um i mean maybe the number one or maybe top three games of chess ever played
1: It doesn't interest me at all
0: you don't think of the nose no i don't
1: think of it i I mean i tried to I find the games interesting. I try to learn from them, but like trying to, to rank them has never interested me.
0: What, what, what games pop out to you is like super interesting then. Is there, is there things like where idea, like old school games where there was like interesting ideas that, uh, um, that you go back or like you, you find surprising and pretty cool that, that, that those ideas were developed like then. Is um, there something that jumps to mind?
1: Yeah. There are several games of, Young Kasparov like before he became world champion if you're going to ask for like my favorite player or favorite style that's probably Young
0: Kasparov Young Kasparov can you describe stylistically or in any other way what what Young Kasparov was like that you're that you like uh it was just an overflow energy in his play so aggressive yeah attacking extreme, chess. extremely
1: aggressive dynamic chess it probably appeals to me a lot because these are the things that i cannot do as well uh that it just feels very special to me but yeah in terms of games i never never thought about that
0: too much is there uh memories big or small weird surprising uh just any kind of beautiful anecdote um from your chess career like stuff that pops out that people might not know about. Just stuff when you look back, it just makes you smile.
1: No, so I'll tell you about the um, most satisfying tournament victory of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that was the Norwegian championship under 11 in 2000. Before that tournament, I was super anxious because I started like kind of late at chess. I, I played my first tournament when I was eight and a half and a lot of my competitors had already played for, for a couple of years or even three, four years at that point. And the first time, I, so I played the under 11 championship in 99 I was like a little over the middle of the pack. I'd, I'd never played against any of them before so I didn't know what to expect at all. And then over the next year, I was just like edging a little bit closer. In each tournament, I felt like I was getting a little bit better. And when we had the championship, I knew that I was ready, that I was now at the same level of the best players. I was so anxious to to show it. I remember I was just, the feeling of excitement and nervousness before the tournament was incredible. The tournament was weird because I started out, I gave away a draw to a weaker player whom I shouldn't have drawn to and then I drew against the other guy, who was clearly like the best or second best, and uh, and at that point I thought it was over, because I thought he wouldn't he wouldn't give away points to others, and then the very next day he lost to somebody, so the the rest of the tournament it was just like I was always like playing my game and watching his, and we both won the rest of our games, but it meant that I was half a point ahead, like the feeling when I realized that I was gonna win. Um, that was just so amazing. It was like the first time that I was the best at my age. And at that point- You were hooked. Yeah, at that point I realized, you know, this, I could actually be very good at this. So you
0: you you kind of saw, where did you think your ceiling would be? Did you see that? Do you th- Did you see that one day you could be the number one? No, I didn't.
1: I didn't think that was possible at all. Um, But when did you first? I thought I could be the best in Norway,
0: the best in Norway. At that point, when did you first?
1: Because like I started relatively late, right? And also like I knew that I studied a lot more than the others. I knew that I had a passion that they didn't have. They saw chess as something like it was you know it was a hobby it was like an activity it was like um it was like going to to football practice or any other sports like you go you practice like once or twice a week and then you play a tournament at the weekend that's that's what you did for me it was not like that like i would go with my books and my board every day after school uh and i wouldn't i would just constantly be trying to learn new things. I had like two hours of internet time on the computer each week, <laughs> and I would always spend them on chess. On <laughs> like um, yeah. I think before I was 13 or 14, I'd never opened a browser for any other reason than to play chess.
0: Would you describe that as love or as obsession or something in between? It's everything?
1: Yeah, everything. <laughs> what, uh, but it, it, So, I mean, it wasn't hard for me to tell at that point that I had something that the other other kids didn't because I was never the, the one to grasp something very, very quickly. But once I started, I always got hooked and then I never stopped
0: learning. What would you say, you've talked about the middle game as a a place where you can play pure chess. What do you think is beautiful to you about chess? Like the thing when you were 11. What is beautiful to me
1: is when your opponent can predict every single one of your moves and they still lose.
0: (laughs) How does that happen?
1: No, like it means that at some point early your planning, your evaluation has been better. So that you play just very simply, very clearly. It looks... Like you did nothing special
0: and your opponent lost without a chance. So, you're how do you think about that? By the way, are you basically narrowing down this gigantic tree of options to where your opponent has less and less and less options to win, to escape, and then they're trapped? Yeah, that's it, essentially. Is there some aspect to the patterns themselves, to the positions, to the elegance of like, the the dynamics of the game that you just find beautiful that 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 doesn't that where you forget about the opponent
1: Uh, general i try and create harmony on the board like what i would usually find harmonious is that the pieces work together that they protect each other uh, and that there are no pieces that are suboptimally placed or Uh, if they are suboptimally placed, they can be improved pretty easily. Like I hate when I have one piece that I know is badly placed and I cannot improve it.
0: When, when, yeah, when you're thinking about the the harmony of the pieces, when you're looking at the position, you're evaluating it. Are you looking at, at the whole board or is it like a bunch of groupings of pieces overlapping? I would and like s- dancing together kind of thing.
1: I would say it's more of the latter that would be more uh precise that you look I mean I look mostly closer to the middle but then I would focus on one like there are usually like one grouping of pieces on one side and then some more closer to the the other side so I would
0: um I would think of it a little bit that way. So and everything is kind of gravitating to the middle.
1: If it's going well, then yes.
0: <laughs> and in harmony.
1: Yeah, in, in, in harmony. Or Like, if you can control the middle, you can more easily attack on both sides. That applies to pretty much any game. It's as simple as that. And, like, attacking on one side without control of the middle would feel very non-harmonious for, for me. Like, I, I talked about the 10th game, and in the world championship like that's the time i was the most nervous and it was because it was the kind of attack that i hate where you just have to you're one side and you the attack has to work there was one side and part of the middle as well which i didn't control at all and That that's like the opposite of harmony for me
0: what advice would you give to chess players of if- different levels, how to improve in chess. Very beginner, complete beginner. I mean, at every level. Is there is there something you can- It's
1: say? very hard for me to say because, I mean, the easiest way is like, love chess, be obsessed. Well, that's a really important <laughs> statement. But that
0: doesn't work for everybody. So it's I feel like, like- It can feel like a grind. So you're saying if it, the less it can feel like a grind, the better, the better. Yeah, for sure. At least for you.
1: That's for sure, but I'm also very, very skeptical about giving advice because I think, again, my way only works if you have some combination of talent and and obsession. So I'm not sure that I'd generally recommend it. Like What I've done doesn't go with what most coaches suggest for their kids. I've been lucky that I've had coaches from, from early on that have been very, very hands off and just allowed me to do my thing basically.
0: Well, there's a lot to be said about, uh, cultivating the obsession, like really, really letting that flourish to where you spend a lot of hours, like with the chessboard in your head and it doesn't feel like a struggle.
1: No. So like, just letting me do my thing. Like if you give me a bunch of work, it will probably feel like a chore. And if you don't give me, I will spend all of that time on my own without thinking that it's it's work or without thought that I'm doing this to improve my chess. Well, in
0: terms of learning stuff like books, there's a, a, one thing that's relatively novel from your perspective. People are starting now is there's YouTube. There's a lot of good YouTubers. You're a part-time YouTuber. You have stuff on YouTube, I guess. No, yeah, but I,
1: I mean, <laughs> if you've seen my YouTube, it's mostly like, It's
0: very... <laughs> it's, uh, it's not... It's carefree. It's not high effort content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but do you like any particular YouTubers? Um, I, I could just recommend like stuff I've seen. So good matter, Gotham Chess, Botez Live. Yeah. Um, I really like uh, St. Louis Chess Club, uh, Daniel Naroditsky and uh, John Bartholomew. Those are good channels, but is there something you can recommend?
1: No, all of them are good. You know, the best recommendation I could give is uh, Agon Mater. Um Purely,
0: how much did he pay you to say that?
1: No. So the thing about <laughs> that is that I haven't really, I have. So I can tell you, I've never watched any of his videos from from start to finish. Yeah, I'm not like I'm. I'm not the target audience, obviously, yeah. but. I think the only chess YouTube video that my dad has ever watched from start to finish is Agamator. And he said, like, I watched one of his videos. I wanted to know what it, what it was all about. Because I think Agamator is like the same strength as my father, or maybe just a little bit weaker, like 1900 or something. My father is probably about 2000. And my father has played chess his whole life. Uh, He loves, he absolutely loves the game. It was like, that's the only time he's actually sat through one of those videos. And he said like, yeah, I get it. I enjoy it. So that's the best recommendation (laughs) I, I I could give. That's
0: the only channel that my father actually enjoys. (laughs) <laughs> this is hilarious i talked i talked to him before this to ask him if he has any questions for you and uh he said no just just do your thing you know what no you're he's doing. he's so careful he wouldn't uh, do that he did mention jokingly about uh evan's gambit i think is that a thing evan's gambit it's some weird thing he made up it might be an inside joke i don't i don't know but he asked me to well anyway I the,
1: yeah i didn't even get um
0: it's something yeah, I he made up
1: uh, maybe i didn't even realize that he plays the Evans Gambit. Like he plays a lot of gambits that are. Wait, Evans Gambit is a thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Like that's an old opening from the eighteen hundreds. Uh, Captain Evans uh, apparently in- invented
0: it. Why would he mention that particular one? Yeah, is there I something don't, hilarious about know. that one? I don't know. He did like, I, a... I, I don't think I've
1: ever faced the Evans Gambit in a
0: in a game. I feel I, like both I, of you are trolling trolling me right now.
1: <laughs> but I mean, he's so he's played a lot of other gambits. <laughs> maybe this is the one he wanted to uh, to mention so this maybe this is called the Evans Gambit as well but I just know it as like the 2G4 two, two Gambit maybe this is the one like this one he has this one he has played a bunch uh, and he's <laughs> he 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 he's been telling me a lot about his games in this line he's like oh it's not so bad and I'm <laughs> like yeah but you're upon pawn down yeah, uh, but I can I can sort of see it. I can sort of um, I can sort of understand it. And he's like, he's proud of the fact that nobody like told him to play this line or anything. He came yeah. up with it well, himself. And there's this. Uh, I'll tell you another story about my father. So there there's this line that I call that I call the Henry Carlson line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the line? Um, so at some point, you know, he never knew a lot of openings in in chess, but I taught him. I taught him a couple of openings as black. Um uh, mm-hmm. it's the uh it's the Sveshnikov Sicilian that I've played a lot myself also um during the um the world championship in 2018. I won a bu- bunch of games in 2019 as well. So that's one opening, and I also taught him as black to play the Ragozin defense. Um and then so the Ragosian defense goes like goes like this. Um it's characterized by um by this bishop move. Um and so uh, he would play those openings pretty pr- pretty exclusively and as black in the tournaments that he did play and also the Sveshnikov Sicilian is like that's the only t- two of my sisters play I played a bunch of t- chess t- tournaments as well and that's the only t- opening they know as well. So my my family's repertoire is very narrow. So <laughs> so this is the this is the system. Black goes here, and then very often white takes the pawn, and black takes the pawn. Mm-hmm. Um, so at some point I was watching one of my my father's online blitz game blitz game. and as white, he played this, this, uh, so this is called the Carcan defense. He took the pawn. Mm-hmm. Um, it was taken back, then he went with a knight. Mm-hmm. Um, his opponent went here, and then he played the bishop here. So I I'd never seen this opening before, and I was like, "Wow, um, <laughs> how on earth did he come up with that?" And he said, "No, I just played the ragosin with the different colors because if the knight was here, it would be the same position." I was like, "I never," I was like, "How how am I like one of the best <laughs> twenty players in the world?" I've, and I've never thought about that. Yeah. So I actually started playing. I started playing this line uh, as white with pretty decent result. and it results and it actually became kind of popular and everybody uh, who asked about the line it's like i would always tell them yeah that's the henry carlson <laughs> i wouldn't necessarily explain why it was called that i would just always call it that so i really hope at this point at some point this line will be uh will find its
0: its rightful name in the, uh, yeah it f- finds its ways into the history books yeah can you uh what 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 did you learn about life from your dad? What what role has your dad played in your life? He's taught me a, a lot of things.
1: Uh but most of all, as long as you win a chess, then everything else is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my especially my father, but my parents in general, they they always wanted me to get a good ed- education and um find a job and so on Um, even though my father loves chess and he wanted me to to play chess I don't think he had any plans for me to be professional Uh, I think things changed at some point like I was less and less interested in school and for a long time we were kind of going back and forth fighting about that Um, especially my father but also my mother a little bit it was at times a little bit difficult they
0: wanted you to go to school so yeah they, 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 they sort of wanted
1: me to do more school to to have more options and then i i think at some point uh, they just gave up <laughs> but i think that sort of coincided when i was actually starting to make real money of tournaments and after that you know everything's been sort of easy and like in terms of the family like they've never put any pressure on me or they've never put any demands on me um they're just yeah my has to focus on chess that's <laughs> that that's um that's it like I, I think they taught me in general to be curious about the world and to get a decent general education not necessarily from from school but like just knowing um about the world around you and knowing history and being, you know, just being interested in society. Uh, I think in that sense, they've done well.
0: And he's been with you throughout your chess career. I mean, there's something to be said about just family, support and love that you have that that, you know, this world is a lonely place. (laughs) It's good to have people around you that are like- Yeah. um, um, they got your back kind of, you know?
1: Yeah. uh... It's a cliche, but I think to some extent all the people you surround yourself with they can help you a lot. It's only family that only has their own interests at heart and so for that reason, like my father's like the only one that's been like constantly in the team that and that he's always been around and it's it's for that reason that I know he has my back no matter what.
0: Now there's a cliché question here, but let, let's try to actually get to some deep truth, perhaps. But people who don't know much about chess seem to like to use chess as a metaphor for everything in life. But there is some aspect to the decision making, to the kind of reasoning involved in chess, that's transferable to other things. Can you can you speak to that in your in your own life and in general? The kind of reasoning involved with chess, how much of that does transfer to life out there? It, it just helps you make
1: decisions. I mean, uh, of all, of all kinds. Yeah, that would be my main takeaway: that you learn to make informed
0: guesses in a limited amount of time. I mean, does it frustrate you when you know they have you have uh, geopolitical thinkers and leaders? You know, Henry Kissinger will often talk about geopolitics is a game of chess or 3D chess. Is that a too oversimplified of a projection? Or or do you think that the kind of deliberations you have on the world stage is is similar to the kind of decision making you have on the chessboard?
1: Well, I never I'm never trying to get reelected when I play a game of chess. <laughs> <laughs> There's no
0: special interest you have to get happy. Yeah, that kind of
1: no that kind of helps. Uh, no, I can I can understand that obviously for every action there's a reaction and you have to to calculate far ahead it probably would be a good thing if more big players on the international scene thought a a little bit more like like a chess player in that sense like trying to make good decision based on um, based on limited amount of data rather than Thinking about other um, other factors, but it's so tough. Uh, but it does annoy me when when people make
0: moves that they know are wrong for different reasons. And they should know if they did some calculation, they should know they're wrong. Yeah, they, exactly.
1: Yeah. That they should know that are wrong. And so much politics is like it's um you're you're often asked to do something when you're when it would be much better to do nothing. Uh, like yeah. no but that happens in chess all the time like you have, you have a choice like I often tell people that in certain situations you should not try and win you should just let your opponent lose yeah. and that happens in politics all the time uh, <laughs> That yeah just let your opponents continue whatever they're doing and then you'll win don't try to do something just to do something often they say in chess that having a bad plan is better than having no plan it's absolute nonsense <laughs>
0: <laughs> i forget what general said it but uh it was like uh don't interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake yeah i think they
1: also um
0: petrosian
1: um the the former world champion said um when your opponent wants to play dutch defense don't stop them i mean chess players will know that it's the same thing <laughs>
0: Uh, actually this reminds me uh, is there something you found really impressive about Queen's Gambit the TV show you know that's one of the things that really captivated the public imagination about chess people who don't play chess became very curious about the game about the beauty of the game the drama of the game all that kind of stuff is there in terms of accuracy in terms of the actual games played that you found impressive
1: first of all they did the chess that did the chess well they did it accurately and also they found actual games and positions that I never never seen before which really captivated me like I would I would not follow the um the story at times I was just trying to wow where the hell did I find that game <laughs> it's trying to solve the
0: positions so Beth Harmon the uh the, the main character were you impressed by the play she was doing in in the like was there a particular style that they developed consistently No, oh, but she was just at the end she was just totally universal,
1: like at the start she was probably a bit too too aggressive, but no she was absolutely universal Uni- wait what what were the what adjective are you using <laughs> universal in the sense that she could play in any any style
0: oh interesting and and was dominant in that way. So, wow, they, so there's a development in style too throughout the show. Yeah, for sure. It's really interesting they, they did that.
1: Yeah. And uh, it actually happened with me a bit as well. Like I started out really aggressive. Then I became probably too technical at some point, uh, taking a little bit too few risks and not playing dynamic enough. And then I started to get a little bit better at dynamics so that now I'm, I would say definitely the most universal player in terms of um, in terms of style.
0: Are there any skills in chess that are transferable to poker? So as you're playing around with poker a little bit now, how fundamentally different of a game is it?:
1: What I find the most transferable probably is not like letting past decisions dictate future thinking.
0: But in terms of the patterns in the betting strategies and all that kind of stuff, uh, what about bluffing? because you, you I bluff way too much. <laughs> it does seem you enjoy bluffing, and uh, Daniel Negreanu was saying yeah, you're quite a, good at it. Uh,
1: but it, he yeah, it has very little material to go by. <laughs> Sample size is small. Yeah. No, I mean, I enjoy bluffing for um, the more the
0: gambling aspects, the, the thrill of... So not the technical aspect of the bluffing like you would on the chessboard
1: not bluffing in the same sense but there there is some element um but i do enjoy it on 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 the chessboard like if i um know that like oh i successfully scared away my opponent from making the best move that's of course satisfying
0: in that same way it might be satisfying in poker right that you represent something you scare away your opponent yeah. in the same kind of like,
1: way yeah and also like you tell a story you try and tell a story and then they believe it
0: yeah <laughs> Tell tell a story with your betting, with your um, all the d- different other cues. Yeah. Do you like the money aspect, the the betting strategies? So it's like it's like it's almost like another layer on top of it, right? Like it's it's the uncertainty in the cards, but the betting. The, there's so much freedom to the betting.
1: I'm not very good at that, so I cannot say that I understand it uh, completely. You know, when it, when it comes to different sizing and all and all of that, I just haven't studied it
0: enough. How much of luck is part of poker? Would you say, from what what you've seen, versus skill? I mean, it's so different in
1: the sense that you can be one of the best players in the world and lose two, three years in a row without that being
0: being like a massive outlier. Okay, the 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 thing that more than one person told me that you're very good at is trash talking.
1: (laughs) I don't think I am. A lot of people who make those observations about me, I think they just expect very, very little. So they expect from the best chess player in the world, that just anything that's non-robotic is interesting. Also, when it comes to trash talking, like I have the biggest advantage in the world that I'm the best at what I'm doing. So trash talking becomes very, very, very easy because I can back it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of people that are extremely good at stuff don't trash talk and they're not good at it.
1: I don't think I'm very good at it. It's just that I can back it up, which makes it seem that I'm, I'm better. And also- You're even doing it now. My, also being non-robotic or not completely robotic helps Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, you're not trash talking. You're just stating facts. That's right. Have you ever have you ever considered that uh, there would be trash talking and uh, over the chessboard and some of the big tournaments, like adding that kind of component or even talking? You know, mm. would that would that completely distract from the game of chess? No, I th- think it could be
1: um, funny. And when people play offhand games, when they play blitz games, like people trash talk all the time. It's a normal part of the game.
0: So you uh, you emphasize fun a lot. Uh, do you think we're living inside of a simulation that is trying to maximize fun? But that's only happened
1: for the last, you know, hundred years or so. No, that's well, like f-
0: the fun has always been in- increasing. I think.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's always been increasing, but I feel like it's been increasing exponentially.
0: Yeah, the, 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 I mean,
1: the, or at least the importance of fun, but I, I guess it depends on the society as well. Like in the West, we've had such uh, Christian influence, and I mean, Christianity hasn't exactly embraced the concept of fun
0: over <laughs> over time. So, well, actually, to push back, I think forbidding certain things kind of makes them more fun. So, so sometimes I think you need to mm. say you're not allowed to do this. And then, then, a lot of people start doing it, and then they have fun doing that because it, it's like a, um, it's doing a thing in the face of the resistance of the thing. So when, whenever there's resistance, that does somehow make it more fun. Oppressive
1: regimes has always kind of been a, been kind of good for comedy, no? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, in, no, but I, I heard yes, supposedly <laughs> yeah. like in the Soviet Union. I don't know about fun, but. Yeah.
0: Uh, Supposedly, comedy, like at least underground, it's it thrived. Yeah, there's a well, no, it, it permeates the entire culture. There's a dark humor. Yeah. That uh, sort of the cruelty, the absurdity of life really, really brings out the humor amongst the populace, plus vodka on top of that. <laughs> but this idea that, this, for example, Elon Musk has that um, the most entertaining outcome is the most likely. That it seems like the most oh. absurd, silly, funny thing
1: seems to be the thing that <laughs> so it it happens more often than um than it should. And That's it somehow becomes saying.
0: viral in our modern connected world. And so the fun stuff, the memes spread, and then we start to optimize for the for the fun meme that seems to be a fundamental property of, of the reality we live in. And so emerges the ma- the fun maximizer in all walks of life. Like in chess in in, in poker and in everything. I think You're you're skeptical.
1: No, I'm not skeptical. Uh, I'm just I'm just taking it all in. Uh, but I find I find it interesting and not at all impossible. Do you ever get lonely? Oh yeah, for sure. Um like a chess player's life is by definition pretty lonely. Um because you have nobody else to blame but yourself when you lose, or you don't achieve the results that you
0: wanna achieve. It's difficult for you to find comfort elsewhere. It's, it's in your own mind. Yeah. It's you versus yourself, really.
1: Yeah, really. But it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's part of the profession, but I think any like sport or activity where it's, where it's just you and your own mind is just by definition lonely
0: are you worried that it destroys you
1: oh not at all as long as i'm aware of it then it's fine and uh, i don't think the inherent loneliness of my profession really uh, affects the rest of my life
0: in in a major way what uh, role does love play in the human condition and in your lonely life of calculation <laughs>
1: You know, I'm like everybody else uh <laughs> trying uh you know
0: trying to find love.
1: No, not necessarily like trying to find love. So- sometimes I am, sometimes I'm I'm not. I'm just trying to find my way. Yeah. And my love for for the game obviously it comes and goes a little bit, but there's like there's always at least some level of love. So that doesn't doesn't go away. But I think in other parts of life i think it's just about doing things that make you happy that give you joy that that also makes you more receptive to to love in general so that that has been my approach to to love now for quite a while that i'm just trying to live my best life and then uh, the love will um, will come uh when it when it comes and in in terms of romantic love, it has come and gone in my life. It's not there now, uh, but I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about, you know, not worried, but more like trying to just be a good version of um, of myself. I cannot always be the best version of myself, but at least try to be good.
0: Yeah, and keep your heart open. What is this uh, uh, Daniel Johnston song, true love will find you in the end? No, it
1: may or may not it, but, but but
0: it will only find you if uh oh fuck how does it go if you're looking so like you have to be open to it yeah it may or may not yeah yeah and no matter what you're gonna lose it in the end because it all ends the whole thing ends yeah, yeah. so that's i
1: i don't think stressing over that like obviously it's so human that you can't help it to some degree but I feel like stressing over love, that's the blueprint for whether whether you're looking or you're not looking or you're in a relationship or marriage or anything like stressing over it is like the blue, blueprint for being
0: unhappy. Uh, just to clarify a confusion I have, um, just a quick question. How does the knight move?
1: <laughs> so the knight moves in an L Um, And uh, unlike in shogi, it can move both forwards and backwards. It is quite a nimble piece. It can jump over everything, but it's less happy in open position where it has to move from from side to side quickly. I am generally more of a bishops guy myself for the old debate. I just prefer quality over the intangibles. But... uh, I can appreciate a good night once in a while. Last simple
0: question. What's the meaning of life, Magnus Carlsen?
1: There's obviously no meaning to life. Is that obvious? I think we're here by accident. There's no meaning. It ends at some point. Yeah. But it's still a great thing. So... Yeah. um, You can still have fun even if there's no meaning. Yeah, you can still have fun. You can try and pursue your your goals, whatever they may be, but I'm pretty sure there's no special meaning and trying to, to find it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. For me, like life is both meaningless and meaningful for just being here, trying to, to make, not necessarily the most of it, but the things that make you make you happy, both short-term and also long-term.
0: Yeah, it seems to be full of cool stuff to enjoy. It certainly does. (laughs) And uh, one of those is having a conversation with you, uh, Magnus. It's a huge honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I can't wait to see what you do in this world. And thank you for creating so much elegance and beauty on the chessboard and beyond. So thanks for talking today, brother.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, And uh, I wanted to say this at the start, but I never really got the chance. I was always a bit apprehensive about Doing this podcast because you are a very smart guy and your audience is very smart, and I always had a bit of imposter syndrome. So I'll tell you this now after <laughs> yeah. the podcast. So please do
0: do judge me, but I I hope you have enjoyed it. I loved it. You're a brilliant man, and it's it's I love the fact that you have imposter syndrome because a lot of us do, and so that that's beautiful to see, even at the very top, but you still feel like an imposter. <laughs> uh, thank you, brother, thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Magnus Carlsen. To support this podcast, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, let me leave you with some words from Bobby Fischer. Chess is a war over the board. The object is to crush the opponent's mind. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.